Are you suffering from chronic joint or back pain? Downtown's Healthcare in Denver offers effective alternative therapies that are non-invasive, non-surgical, and drug-free. Start your journey to a pain-free life. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992, now in Lowry or downtown. Hello, everyone. It's that time for the J. Moore Tech Talk Show, where we answer questions about technology, explain the way they should work, and why they don't sometimes. And now here's your host, John C. Morley. Welcome once again to the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone. Great to be here, Marcus. Happy New Year to you. Oh, Happy New Year. It's definitely a pleasure to be with everyone again. Thank you, John. It is my pleasure to be here. We have got an awesome, awesome 2021 Um uh, coming down the pike with some amazing people and we're working really hard to get some even more amazing people. Uh, our guests that we have actually coming to us uh, later on in this show that I'll be interviewing, uh, he is going to be talking to us about the internet of things. And the thing that's very interesting about this gentleman, uh, Carl Weaver, Weaver, he is a global business development director um, for what he calls boat blockchain of AI things, but we'll talk to him more about that later, but he's going to be talking to us how he has done things overseas and how uh, those impacts are greatly advancing technology actually overseas, but we really need to catch up to things on this side of the U.S. I tell you, you know, we are far behind, you know. Yeah, Yeah, Marcus, it's really interesting because, you know, everything that they make in China seems to cost, you know, not a lot of money. And then it comes over here to the United States and they mark it up. There was a person you may know, <laughs> Mr. Gates, and he had said uh, that if we are as advanced in our cars, uh, in the production, like we are with computers, we'd all be able to be buying one of the most expensive cars for only a hundred dollars. And it just <laughs> amazes me that like we we're still pants almost we're still playing close to a hundred thousand dollars for for a basic automobile. You know, the, you're not getting anything extremely lavish at, at all. Exactly, and I think it's because uh, it's a mindset. And you know, because let's face it, if computers were going to cost ten thousand dollars. I think that would chop a lot of the market away. A lot of us would buy it, but a lot of people would not go out there and get one because they would look for something else. Exactly. Uh, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, the, the, the way uh, in, in which the, 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 the market is dictating things, um, you know, we're not going to see this happen um, for, you know, we, we're, we're too far be, behind. Um, but, you know, we know our friend Elon Musk is, you know, he, yes. he does, he, he is shooting for the stars on this. Right. And, you know, the funny thing is they're going to have all these rebates and incentives coming up in several years, not tomorrow and not next year. But, you know, this is something very interesting. And I was just, uh, thinking about this because you know I just came back from vacation a, a couple days ago, and uh, the thing that was really interesting to me was that you know Elon Musk and their team had approached Tim Cook from Apple, hmm. 
But you know, Tim Cook did something that I wouldn't have expected him to do. It's something millennials do. It's something that um, rude people do. It's something you do to a salesperson when you don't want to communicate with them. You ghost them. Oh, wow. He ghosted Elon Musk. Tim Cook ghosted Elon Musk. Now, I, I just, I don't know what to say about that. Like, is he just like got something so stuck up that he's like better than God? I mean, why would he do that? It's, it's, you know, I think you took the words, you know, right after out, out of the, the, the thoughts of everyone who's watching. He thinks that he's God. Uh, there's a, there's a, obviously there's some type of intimidation uh, that he's uh, feeling. You know, he feels threatened by Musk. Uh, and, I think I think you're right, and you yeah. know we're hoping to have Elon as a guest sometime on on the show. But you know, I don't know Elon Musk, you know, that well as a person, only from you know uh, blog interactions and posts and things that the company does and and what I see on TV. He actually is somewhat of a humble person, um, which surprised me. I mean, yes, everyone can have their quirks and stuff like that. But he's actually kind of humble. And for him to go to, to Apple now, let's face it, he went to Apple because there was going to be a deal. There's going to be money. But the fact that he was willing to go to Apple and want to collaborate with them, you know, that doesn't say that says he's not such a bad guy. Yeah. It, but to me, it sounds like he's he's really trying to, you know, figure out a, a better way uh, to to improve things, you know, uh, in this in this country. Uh, for us by, you know, uh, masterminding with, you know, with another bright, bright mind, another, exactly. another you know, succeeding company. And you'd think it would make make sense for that company to be receiving, but it's the complete opposite. No, Tim doesn't. Tim has no interest in talking to him. And um, he just claims he's going to have a bigger, better, uh, faster car. Um that's going to just be so much better in so many ways. He doesn't say how it's going to be better, but he just said it's going to be different because, you know, we're Apple. Uh, you know, the old saying, uh, you know, everybody says you can get viruses on a computer like a uh, PC and laptop, but you don't hear them much on a Mac and you don't hear them much on an iPhone, but you do hear them on an Android phone. Uh, many years ago, the first person took their um, phone and plugged it into one of those jacks at the airport. Unfortunately, those USB jacks were actually hooked up to a network. And somebody unleashed some software that let you say it wasn't too friendly and caused those uh, androids uh, to have a problem. Now, Apple kind of learned from this issue. And now they make it that you have to agree to install everything on your phone. You don't want to turn that option off. So I don't want to say it's impossible to put a virus on an Apple device, but it's next to impossible with the way the securities are set right now. And if you leave them in place, but I mean, can you imagine that? And then there's a company out there trying to sell you a little USB dongle. I think they're like two for 10 bucks or two for 15 bucks. Mm -hmm. And what it does, Marcus, is it breaks the chain for the data. So when you plug in your, you know, your USB device into whatever you're going to plug it into, uh, usually that port at the airport, you don't know what you're plugging into. So what I tell people is if you don't have those dongles and you're not sure if you're, you know, you're going to have an issue, just take the stupid plug, 
plug the device into the electric and then plug in the wall because there's no way right now currently um, that any data can flow through the electricity currently there's no way right. we can send electric we can send wireless signals uh, and we can send signals through the electric and stuff like that but we're really not far to send viruses through the electric there's sine wave and stuff like that so you know to have that extra little adapter in your bag it probably pays but i just thought that was kind of interesting and here it is a company marcus capitalized on that they capitalized on this little device two for 10 or two for 15 bucks on Amazon or other sites and everybody's buying them. And you know what got people to buy them now, Marcus? They did a press story and the press Mm. story is scaring everybody, but you don't need it on an Apple device, but they don't say that in the press release. Of course not. (laughs) And I said that press release. Now we all know press releases are, are designed to create attention, but that press release was designed to get people to buy a device that you really don't need if you have an Apple. Yeah, and, and this is why, you know, many journalists now are tiptoeing on the type of stories they, you know, reshare and, and put on their platforms because, uh, you know, just the fear of, you know, uh, of getting, you know, getting found out that like, hey, you know, you're spreading fake news here. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and to speaking about news today, and, and we, we have to touch on this, mm-hmm. you know, Today was a calm day, and then all of a sudden, it's like this fire broke out in the, in, in the House and the Senate. I mean, this whole thing, and I'm not trying to get into politics, but this whole thing was just so crazy. One particular person, I'm not going to name names, you all know who it is, actually told people to come to the Capitol and to protest. Then, just about a half hour or so before the show, he got on, or, or, or I'd say a few days before, actually, he got, and he actually said that uh, he was going to tell everybody to just go home. You know, we lost. It wasn't fair. We lost. But please, people, go home now. Rest. I appreciate what you've done. Go home. Rest. You know, we know everybody else is wrong, um, but we need to go home now. Okay? We know we love you. You're special and all this great BS, but go home now and just rest. I mean, what the heck was that, Marcus? What the heck was that? <laughs> well, it, it turned into total chaos. You know, that's what it turned into. And it one was lady or one man went to the oh, hospital, man. I understand. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was terrible. And, you know, for for for, you know, just, you know, it's, it's, it's no wonder why Twitter and, you know, Facebook as, uh, you know, uh, you really put the clench down on. On, on that character's account, you know, and um, because like, you know, the words you say, you know, has uh, definitely, you know, empowered people to, you know, think they can do certain things. But Twitter didn't block anything today. No, they didn't. So where is that whole organization is supposed to be watching over things? Where are they? <laughs> yeah so yeah and, and you know and this this is what you know so they, they did put out a story about that they were going to but uh yeah <laughs> they didn't though yeah but they did <laughs> so. and, and it made all kinds of prime time news it was the the center of twitter the center of everything and it was driving people crazy and they had pipe bombs even going off yeah and supposedly it's calmed down. 
Then they enacted the National Guard to come in when that same person started the whole thing. And then he called the National Guard to cause to have peace. Yeah, <laughs> I just I, I don't know what to say about that, but uh, it, it just goes to show you that, you know, when somebody takes something and that thought gets extorted and, and I'll give you a quick example. If you make a statement against your neighbor, your friend or your foe, and you said they did something and you go down to the police and you report that, I want to tell you something. That's not a game because the law states that they have to take what you say as truth. Because if you've testified that and they and something, let's say somebody was at harm or their life now, they could be in trouble or be sued because they didn't they didn't react to your complaint. And so my, my point here is that when someone opens their mouth to say something like this person's this, this person's that, this person, a lot of times people say stuff, whether it's in social media or whether it's in life, because they don't have, and I'm trying to be polite here, they don't have the uh, whatever it is, if it's the gentleman or the lady, they don't have the proper uh, attitude, but they don't have the proper respect so they're just going to go ahead and, and cause this problem. And I almost call it um, basically abusing the law where, you know, you create these falsity stories and they actually have a charge now that somebody can get for causing a falsification. Now, even though this whole thing could go many, many months and maybe a year or more, you can't just turn a switch to stop the court proceedings. Once you've let that can and go or you've shot that gun there's no way of stopping that bullet yeah, yeah there's no way of turning back or are you pushing that tnt down there's no way of stopping that signal and i think sometimes people don't realize the actions and the implications they cause by opening their mouth yeah they they, they can't handle the truth so rather than sharing the truth they're going to lie about something and say it's someone else's fault. I just think that's wrong. And the same thing happened here today with the, with the, uh, with our Senate. They were all lies, Marcus. They're all lies. And it got all these people to retaliate because something they said people thought was true. Our news isn't factual, is it anymore? It's it's more of a glorified soap opera. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I hope tomorrow doesn't go like that because that was just a a very, very long, long, long day. Uh, But on some warmer notes, uh, the COVID vaccine. So, you know, we have Pfizer, uh, we have Moderna, and we have AstraZeneca. So right now, uh, as you may or may not know, the people on the front lines, that's your doctors, uh, your nurses, and the people that live in uh, nursing homes, they are first on the jab to get the vaccine. If you are a um, front care, healthcare worker, if you're helping administer tests wherever you are, you're also at the front. Mm -hmm. And then what they're starting to do now is, even if you're not the front, but you want to volunteer time to help at the front and you put in so many hours, well, now you could be bumped to the front. 
They are running out of help, Marcus. They're begging people to help for yeah. testing and for all kinds of crazy things. But but the the real weirdest thing is this. Uh, many of you know I uh, I went to Florida, I went to Naples, and before I traveled, I went and had a COVID test. When I came back, I went and had a COVID test, and literally today I just got my results back negative. But my point is is that the tests that they're giving around the globe right now, these rapid tests, noise of the tests, they're giving what's quick, but they're okay. not giving what's the most accurate. The test I talk, took was called the Yale test, which is over the 92, 93% accurate. Why are we wasting time with things that are quick with things that are not accurate? Now, the test that I took, Marcus, is almost $100. And do you know my insurance company will not cover that test? Oh, man. They will not cover the Yale saliva test, one of the best tests you can take. They will not cover it. The problem with the nose test is if somebody doesn't jab you enough up the nose, then <laughs> you could get a false positive, false, you know, and that's a problem. And the people, Marcus, that are going for these tests, it's not people like you and I that are concerned about our health. It's people that felt they got exposed. Oh my God, I better go get a test. And what's that suddenly going to do that you find out you're positive? Like, why do you want to know instantaneously? Why shouldn't you be protecting yourself anyway? So they go get a quick test and then they get a bad result. And then they go take a long, like, and why is our government not having the insurance company pay for these longer tests? The saliva test is uh, a little longer to take because you have to sit there and basically spit and only have a certain amount of bile. You can't have bubbles. So mm -hmm. it takes a little bit of practice, but the point is everybody wants everything fast. And here's the thing I think that's really uh, the kicker. And this wasn't even on my plan today. This is kind of spontaneous. The whole thing that Yale did, I think, is admirable. The agents that actually will test to see if you have COVID or not in the, in the saliva test are only about 4 to $6. That's it. That's the plastic, maybe another 50 cents to a dollar. So you're talking about $7. Yale says it should be about $20 to $25 for the test. So that's about $26, $27, right? Right. Which, okay, which is the, the lab cost. So now let's say that the pharmacy wants some market. Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Up $20. $46. Okay? They're charging $100. And supposedly what I'm being told is the pharmacy is being charged somewhere around $70 or $80. That's way too much money. Wow, that, that's ridiculous. You know, and Yale, like, wow. Yale did this specifically to help because they didn't want people to get ripped off. And they're ripping people off on the test so much that when you get four tests, your fifth one is free. Or you can buy five and get 20% off. <laughs> it, it, it's just like, I, I don't know, Marcus. It's like the direction that 
our world is following. I don't know who's given these directions. There's no plan on, on vaccination. Now they have a guy, I'm not going to mention his name, who's going on social media, trying to implicate and get people to go get vaccinated. Now, I'm not going to talk about whether you should or shouldn't. That's not what today's show is about. But my point is, is that the decision you make is your decision. But now they right. got someone on social media trying to implicate you through social structures and social psychology to affect your brain so that you feel you're going to need to take a shot. That's 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 what people are doing now. So I don't know. I, I think this is just I think it's really wonky. But but about the vaccine, which is where I was going. So in fate, there are basically um, one, two, three, four, five. I'm going to call it six phases. Mm-hmm. Phase one, there are 43 vaccines currently testing safety and dosage as we speak. There are 20 vaccines in phase two, which is vaccines in expanded safety trials. So they've gotten a little more freedom to be able to go to phase three. Phase three has 20 vaccines in large-scale efficacy tests. Number The next phase, phase four, is limited. That's vaccines that are ready for early or limited use. Approved vaccines, approved for full use, three, which I just named. Right. And there's been one vaccine that has been abandoned. Which one would that be, John? <laughs> Uh, well, they, they, they are saying that the, the, the vaccine that was abandoned, that there's some stories about which one, but they don't actually tell you which one has been abandoned. There, there is some, there's some data we probably could figure out, but I'm not actually going to mention it because I don't have enough evidence to really prove. And one thing yeah. I don't want to do is spread rumors to what I think is the one. So we have enough of that going on. <laughs> right. So, but yeah, they, they have some evidence, but it, it's not a hundred percent to a fact. But if you take those numbers, Marcus, you know, you take the 43, you know, you take the 20, you take the other 20, you take the seven and you take the three. That means we have 93 vaccines. Okay. That have gone through the process and of which only three are ready for full use and 90 more are still coming up the pipeline. That's still pretty impressive. It's very impressive. Now, vaccines of this grandeur usually take years to go through yeah, research. Yeah, they do. You know. But they are stepping this up, Marcus, so much with volunteers, people coming in. You know, you, 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 got, you got Pfizer, you got Moderna, you got Gamalea, you got Oxford as AstraZeneca, you got CanSino, you got Johnson & Johnson, you got Vector Institute, you got Novavax, you got Sinopharm, you got Sinovac, uh, you got Baharit Biotech, uh, and, and there's a lot more. Uh, the one that Baharat Biotech is actually uh, is actually was used in India, and that one was actually taken off the market. But that's not the one I'm referring to. Uh, right. Another one had limited use uh, by Sinovac in China, but only in China. So it, it just I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me how this is all working. But basically, to break this down for you, they have this down what they call preclinical testing. So scientists test a new vaccine on cells, and then they give it to animals such as mice or monkeys, and and, and they see uh, how they respond and how their immune system actually responds to this drug. Uh, Do they, you know, do they build the the necessary uh, cells to to fight off the antigens? Yes or no. Uh, Safety trials, which is phase one. Scientists basically give the vaccine to a small number of people, and they test the safety as well as to confirm that it stimulates the immune system. Phase two is the expanded trials, the scientists do the same thing again, 
to now hundreds of people in split groups, such as now children and the elderly, to see if the vaccine acts differently in them and in different ages. Um, then after they do that, they go to the efficacy trials. Scientists give the vaccine now to thousands of people, and they wait to see how many become infected compared with the volunteers who received a placebo. So they give one with the true vaccine and one with the vaccine, but it's not really the vaccine, it's a placebo. It's probably just a water shot. And then these trials determine if the vaccine protects against the coronavirus, me measuring the efficacy rate. And phase three are large enough to reveal evidence of basically whether there could possibly be side effects, but it doesn't say 100%. Now, the earlier limit approval, uh, Britain and other countries have begun giving emergency authorization to vaccines on a preliminary uh, evidence basis, uh, whether they're safe and effective. China and Russia, on the other hand, have authorized vaccines without waiting for the results of phase three, which experts say pretty serious. So it's interesting, Marcus, that China and Russia is being very, uh, how can I say, uh, very rough and, and also very um, inconsiderate uh, of these um, you know, vaccines. I think at least in the U.S., we're not rushing. I mean, we're really taking the steps. And then the approval, regulators review the complete trial results and plan for vaccine manufacturing and decide whether to give it the final approval. Now, there's something called the combined phases. So one way to accelerate vaccine deployment is to combine phases, which they have been doing, where yeah. some vaccines are now in phase half trial and half phase of trial two. I'm not really thinking that's a great idea, but they have given permission, Marcus, for them to do that so that they could get this accelerated. So when we say paused or abandoned, it actually means the same thing. So if investigators observed any symptoms that could have caused them some concern in volunteers, they can pause the trial, which could be paused indefinitely, or for our words, it really means abandoned. Right. If they don't unpause the trial, it is abandoned. If they, you know, if they pause, the, if, if, they, if, they reap, if they resume the pause, then we could say the trial is not abandoned and it's in process. So uh, th there's a lot of steps, uh, you know, the RNA, uh, the DNA, the genetic, uh, you know, like, for example, the Pfizer dose, uh, they're saying is 95% in the efficacy rate, two doses over three weeks apart. It's a muscle injection and the freezer storage, it has to be at negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 70 degrees Celsius. That's pretty cold. That's colder than many people want their beer, I think. That <laughs> is, you know, and um, I mean, and you, you, you wonder, you know, what happened, you know, here in Wisconsin, you know, where they, they had, you know, a, a, a mishap where they had to throw away some spoiled uh, uh, vaccinations. Um, you know, so, yeah, I they, think I think that was the Pfizer. So the, the problem with the Pfizer yeah. is you have to keep it really cold. And that's the other reason that that one's a lot harder because you have to transport it while keeping it cold. Now, the Moderna um, actually is actually at negative four degrees Fahrenheit and negative 20 uh, degrees Celsius. That's the Moderna. Uh, that's two doses and four weeks apart. And it's 30 days with refrigeration and six months at the temperature I just mentioned. So that one has a little more uh, give to it, doesn't it, than the other one. So again, when they make these vaccines, they don't come up with the, um, you know, the biological uh, requirements for these things. 
they just happen based on the components they use. They don't pick them. Uh, it just sort of happens by what agents they use. Uh, there is another one called the CVN Covic. Uh, the efficacy is unknown right now. Uh, two doses, four weeks support. It's a muscle injection and it's stable at least three months at 36 to 46 degrees Fahrenheit. And Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Two to uh, uh, eight degrees Celsius. So, uh, you know, there are different things coming up the pipe. Uh, there is the um, Anis, uh, it's called the AGO 302 COVID 19. It's unknown, the efficacy. Two doses, two weeks apart. Now, this is not a muscle injection, this is a skin injection. So, the important thing to know about this is that some of these, um, um, how can we say, these uh, uh, vaccines have to go directly into a muscle. Yeah. Others uh, can go directly into the skin and can go from there. The reason for that is certain agents in the way they develop these vaccines will not actually activate unless they're in a mus muscle tissue. And the storage for this one is over a year at room temperature. And that was actually made by a Japanese company. But again, a lot of these, they, they don't have studies to know. They're, they're Zykoft, Unknown, three doses, four weeks apart, it's skin injectable. Um, and then they have another one, the INO 4800. It's unknown for FSC. The dose is to be determined. And the type of skin injection, it's over a year. I mean, you can't put drugs on the market when you have no clue um, what their FSC rate is or, or how what the dose should be. You can see why a lot of these are still in trials. Yeah, and the, the issue <laughs> is because sometimes you have, you know, uh, certain drugs that, you know, although they, they manufacture for a certain intent, you know, whatever happens during the whole process of it, you ends up having the ability to treat something else. And, you know, they won't exactly. admit that right away. You know, they'll let the doctor find that out. And then, and then the doctor writes a, a, a nice report on it. Yeah, I uh, one of my first clients was in was in the medical industry. And uh, they're actually a pharmaceutical company. And they had a drug and um, the drug actually got black labeled. Now, I at the time didn't really know what that meant because I wasn't into pharmaceutical. And uh, they said it got black labeled. So I said, I said, what does that mean? She says, oh, if it's black label, we have to take it off the market. I said, oh, I said, I said, I said so you can't do it. Oh, no, no, no. She said, well, we'll, we'll repurpose the drug. So what do you mean? Well, what we do is we look at the studies to see what side effects it has. But then when we find out what it ha helps, we'll just go ahead and tell them that it's good for that thing and just let people know about the side effects. So you're kidding me. Yeah, we do it all the time. We get about two or three drugs that blacklist a year, but then within three to four months, we usually get them back on the market again. <laughs> Isn't that crazy, Marcus? It is crazy. You know, and um, 
and, <laughs> and again, you know, people are, you know, uh, unsuspecting of this. And, you know, um, that's why you got these so-called generics and name brands when, when, when in reality, you, you just getting something that's just was taken off the market <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Like so, something, for example, that might've been, let's just, I'm not going to just give an example. Let's say something that was used, uh, for supposed to be for, uh, um, I don't know. I'll, I'll just take an example. One might've been for, uh, uh, to, to, to prevent, uh, pregnancy. And they said it didn't work, but they discovered it's a great drug for relieving back pain. <laughs> I mean, what about all the side effects that could happen to your personal organs? They said they just list that. And I love when you, you hear on TV, blah, 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 and they say, oh, and many of these, uh, and also this, this side effects, uh, this cancer, uh, skin fatigue, uh, uh, vomiting, yada, yada, yada. And, and minor cases, death can result. I mean, they put that right at the end of the commercial. And I'm like, and they say it so fast. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and, and, you know, most people don't listen to that. But the law says as long as they state it, Marcus, it doesn't matter how darn fast they say it. No, I don't. You know, there's nothing regulating that. And you could print one of these, like if you ever look at those black labels on a bottle when they black label them, they are, the print is so doggone small. And then I swear when they put it back out again and they repurpose it, I think they, they take the print and they make it even smaller. You ever saw one of those things you have to take out of the bottle and they have those things. It's like you need a 10 times magnifying glass, even if you have 20, 20 vision. Exactly. That, that is so true. You know, you, you know, you're really touching on something that, you know, deserves a lot more attention. Well, I think it's important, and, and I know we don't talk a lot of medical things, uh, but I think it's important, especially with COVID and, and what's going on. And my message to you is this. I'm not going to tell you here on the show to take the vaccine or to not take the vaccine. That's your choice. You need to research and figure out which is the right one for you and, and decide whether it's the right thing to do or to not. I'm not going to tell you whether I'm going to take it or not, because I think it's not fair to influence our viewers. I think they need to make the decision uh, that's right for them. But the most important important thing is to just be smart. Whatever you do, be smart and realize that these vaccines, they are not a cure forever. You're going to have no. to take them again, possibly. Uh, and just understand that just be mindful that just because you've taken the vaccine, somebody else may not have. That's real huge, you know, and, um, you know, thank, thank you for putting that message out there. I think a lot of people really need to hear that. My, my pleasure, you know, and uh, so we'll, we'll keep up on what's going on with these different drugs. But, you know, on, on more of a, a happier note, you know, the workday, Marcus, is changing. Did you hear this? It's no longer yeah. going to be a nine to five workday. Oh, wow. So what, what, what do we have now? We have a three, two, two. So what that means is you're going to work three days at home. You're going to have two days in the office and you're going to have two days off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the nine to five, nine to five, we're just three, two, two, two. So three, two, two, <laughs> three days at home working remotely, two days, uh, uh, yeah, th excuse me, three days in the office. Uh, two days at home, uh, 
you know, working remotely and two days um, that you have off on the weekends, which I think you got off anyway on the weekends usually. Yeah. <laughs> but didn't we see it kind of see this comment though, you know, like we, we, we did. And so this is changing our world a little, Marcus, because the expansion of remote working and need for teleconferencing is becoming coming inevitable. Yeah. Uh, team training systems, uh, needs for those are coming out there more and more to get teams to collaborate. Remote teams, whether they're uh, right in your backyard, whether they're across the country, whether they're in China, whether they're in Washington, whether they're across the street, or whether they're in your same office, they're tools. And what we mean by collaborating is, you've probably seen this before with Google Docs and things like this, you save something, and then someone else can even read that and also make changes or comments to it while you're working on it simultaneously. Yeah, you know, and it's funny because, you know, this used to be sound crazy to people, you know, explaining this to people. Now it's, it's really going to be the norm. It's going to be the norm. And um, we were starting to see some of this, I'm going to say maybe about 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. where you know you had a network and people wanted to be able to modify a file and you could write the file type your word document but the other person couldn't open the document unless they were reading it only one person could make changes now yeah. we have grown so much with collaboration tools that allow us to have multi-users where you can be typing i could be typing and i could see that you just commented and you could see what i commented yeah, so, you know, and, you know, with cool, cool apps like Slack and, you know, all the other places, you know, you, you, you can zoom right from it, you know, and, um, and be able to, like, you know, even see each other while you're doing it. So this, you know, this Office is, 365 Teams. Yeah, Office and, 365 Teams. Yeah, this, this is, um, it, it's going to be a huge need. And, you know, this is, this is going to be the new way of working. Um, don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The virtual office industry is going to going to boom in the coming years. It is, you know, and the thing is this, people think that because of COVID work is going away, but it's not because you still need to have things that are in the office. And uh, when you think about a virtual office, you know, the tools that are coming out and some of them that are here right now are basically making um, the virtual office more seamless. And this gets into something I like to call remote employee engagement or remote employee engagement solutions. So that comes into a whole host of umbrellas. You got hosted phone systems where you can make and receive calls, uh, send and receive texts, 
get transcriptions of your voicemail messages, not just recordings, which we've been seeing for a few years, employee and staff time clock solutions to keep track of their time through phones, on apps, on computers, whether they're working at home or in the field, things that can gate them so they can only log in at certain times or from certain uh, geolocations. Um, email solutions that allow people to check their phone, uh, check their computer, and now being able to not just be able to pull emails down, but to work with a copy of the email or something we're going to see a lot more, which is IMAP, where we're actually working with the actual email. So if you work with IMAP and you delete an email, that email is gone. Okay. If you work with something from POP and you delete it, well, the other email may still be sitting on your server somewhere. But IMAP, there's no backup unless your server has a backup. You're working with the real live data. So think of it like this, Marcus. I gave you a signed contract. And if you were using POP, I actually made a photocopy before I gave you. I didn't give you the original. I gave you a signed uh, copy that's a copy. And right. you're working with copies. But if I was going to deal with IMAP, I'd say, here, Marcus, here's the original contract I signed. And if you make co- changes to that and you destroy it, well, you destroyed the only contract you ever have and are ever going to get. You know, this is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, people are going to have to be careful with this. <laughs> and, and, the, and, and the other thing that's happening too, Marcus, and we've been getting very business, is COVID cameras. You've probably yeah. seen this, you know, when you're going to, uh, whether it's a restaurant or you're going to an office, buildings are actually checking your temperature. Some places are taking, a, you know, a, one of these little um, thermometers, which is made in China, <laughs> and they're scanning your wrist or your forehead. If they scan your forehead, a lot of times your forehead temperature changes so much that it's hard to be accurate, especially if you just came in from a run. Now what we're doing is we're scanning people's wrists uh, under their wrists. So basically right where the, um, the, the, the hand, the palm touches right into the hand. So just where it joins on, on the backside, not the front side, we you put your watch, the other side, and, and just scanning that. And that area is always accurate. So things like COVID cameras are now becoming um, the norm. Uh, VPN solutions, virtual private networking, where, you know, whether you're at the uh, hotel or your your home, you want your data to be secure, but also you need to access your company's resources. And the only way to do that securely, because the company doesn't want to be dealing with your network, they just want to make sure it's secure. So you go through a VPN tunnel. Then if you want to go ahead and crash your own computer around that, well, that's your business and the company doesn't care about that. Because most people that work from home, a lot of people, I'm going to say the smaller companies, don't have their own laptop or computer. They're using their home computer and they're using a VPN on it. Right. And then they use something called OT, OTP, one-time passcode, uh, where you've seen this when you go to banks, it sends you a message on your phone uh, one time, or what we like to call a hardware token, um, or we call, we, us, another word we call it is uh, two-factor authentication where a lot of times you'll, you know, you'll answer a question and then it will send you a code to log in to make sure it's you. Uh, it could do it through a text or it could do it through a hardware token, uh, which you have around your keychain usually. And you press the button and it will give you a code that's good for like maybe 60 seconds. They have apps now that are free, like the Microsoft Authenticator app. And by using that app, uh, you can actually create as many as you want. But the one caution I want to uh, alert you to 
is the Microsoft Authenticator and many of these other apps are fantastic and they are secure. But here's right. the one thing. When you go and let's say you get a new phone. As you guys know, I, I got one not too long ago. I got the, the latest uh, phone. You have to make sure you have a backup of all these codes. On, and the only way you can back them up is on the Microsoft server. When you use your phone and you just back up your phone, guess what? You're not backing up the authentication data that it has all of your two-factor authentication uh, one-side keys. Imagine, yeah. Marcus, having 10 or 20 or even five of those. And now you get your new phone and they don't work. You know, I'm having issues right now. <laughs> something, something very similar to this, something like that, where I can't even retrieve my, my Apple iCloud uh, passcode. And you know, and they told me I have to wait 30 days to be able to re receive it, uh, reset it. So, you, you just imagine the frustration. You know, that so the 30, no, the 30 days is, is not 100% true. This is their way of going, telling you to go away. Uh, <laughs> you can go on to their um, website and do a reset if you knew your email address and they'll send it to you. But the other way you can do it is you can actually authenticate through another Apple device that's already authenticated. So okay. if you have another device with the Apple on it, you can use that device to help you regain your password. Unfortunately, I'm only one Apple device. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, okay, so that, that, that's not gonna, but a lot of times it's usually, Marcus, it's not 30 days. Uh, it used to be 24 hours, now they're saying it's seven days. Because um, what happens is, Marcus, it's a manual process. It's yeah. just that they don't, they really don't want to spend time doing it. There's right. no automated process. They have to go through and match up your name to your original account. In fact, Google, if you forget it, good luck. <laughs> they won't yeah, help. It's, it's bye bye for Google. It's bye bye. It's gone unless yeah. you are a paid subscriber. If it's free and you lost it and you don't know the right information, well, sorry, we can't help you. They will try, but if you don't know something on there, you're done. Yeah. There's no number to call. And so, you know, this gets back to things like we talk about those crypto wallets, right? Where right. they give you these weird passwords and there's like eight or 12 words you don't pick and they tell you to write them down. And if you forget them, you'll never get your money back. Yeah, which is just insane. <laughs> it, it, it is. That's why I tell people to be careful with that before you start putting money in those solutions. So uh, ticketing solutions with internal customizable knowledge bases uh, are going to be become more important for tech and non-tech companies as well, because a lot of issues are going to be coming up, Marcus, where, you know, you don't want to reinvent the wheel every time that problem comes up. You want to be able to go to a knowledge base and either forward that article to a client or follow a procedure you know, or keep things in line. Maybe you have staff that changes and you can't change, train them every five minutes. So you want some type of system that is going to keep track of these things. Uh, and I think, you know, it's important because as we start to be more knowledgeable and start to understand that it's not a question of if we're going to work from home, it's when we're going to work from right. home. And I have to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, if you decide that you are not going to work from home, um, you're going to be retiring early. Exactly. Unless you're going to deliver paper, newspapers maybe, or work in the, in the uh, store, maybe pushing shopping carts. Nothing wrong with that, but I'm just saying everything else is going to use technology. 
we learned from our friend just last week, right? A, a couple of weeks ago, Michael Whitehouse on Christmas Day, that technology is all around us. And you have to have some knowledge about it. You don't have to be a, a guru or an engineer like myself, but you have to be somewhat comfortable with it because if you're not, the opportunities are going to pass you by. You're never going to get to them. You're never going to see them. They're not going to be in a newspaper. Yeah, you know, there's there's so many ways to create, you know, a, a job, you know, or replace um, what was done physically, you know, with uh, with technology, and um, you know, and one thing the pandemic has done it has forced many companies to you know to innovate, um, doing so. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of people that's going to be you know uh, replaced or fired. Um, yeah. They're, they're going to hopefully be repurposed. But what we're going to see is a lot of these people uh, are going to be, I don't want to say they're going to be fired, but they're going to be put into a position where they're going to have to do five jobs at once. And what's going to happen is the company's not going to fire them, but they're going to have to do these five tasks. And they're used to doing one or two. So one of the things when you run a company is you have to be very resourceful and you have to be able to do things, walk and chew gum at the same time. Mm -hmm. And if you can't do that, then you're going to have to figure ways to do those things or you're going to be replaced with someone who has the skills and the knowledge of the tools. It's not so much whether you can do it because you're going to need technology to do it. You're not going to be able to do all those things. But if you're not familiar with the technology, they're going to say next. Yeah, I don't think, you know, um, Companies got the resources anymore to to retrain, you know, people. They don't. You know, they don't. And and so many companies now, Marcus, will tell you that they can do this for you because they're so desperate to get the work. And then by the time you've gone through the whole process, they can't do it. And then you want to get a refund, and it's like. Oh, wait, 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 we'll, we'll take a look at it. Well, so I think there's a mismatch and I think this is happening because people are not listening, Marcus. That's what it comes down to. People mm -hmm. are not listening to what the others need. I always told you there's, there's two radio stations, WIIFM, uh, okay. Okay, and W-I-I-F-U, and the F-U is not what you think. W-I-I-F-N, what's in it for me and what's in it for you? If you're listening to W-I-I-F-M, well, then your customer is eventually going to go away. You need to be listening to what they want and what they need, not what right. you want. Exactly. And, you know, uh, this, is, this is why... You know, um, many of these companies are, you know, uh, so slowly fading away. Uh, so exactly, you know, it's 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 terrible. You know, and you 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 hit it right on the head here. You know, once again, John. So, uh, you know, th there's so much information out there about this, but uh, but I do kind of want to wrap in this one point that, uh, you know, China, as you know, for a while had been doing contact contactless delivery and shipping, as we know. Uh, Mutin, it's M-E-I-T-U-A-N, was the first company in China to implement using autonomous robots to do food deliveries and stuff like that. But where's the U.S. on this? 
Yeah, we're nowhere. We're, yeah, we're still busy doing door to door with. Well, uh, cars. we're using door to door services like many of the 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 things you see out there, uh, and they yeah. have one service. I'm not going to mention the name. They hire people, okay, and they give them a credit card. I thought this was kind of neat, but it's not what you think. They give them a credit card, so when you place an order, you could go ahead and pay for the order on the credit card because the money from the customer doesn't get into the account for a few days. So they give every person that works for them an allowance based on the amount of hours they work on that credit card. That's cool. So it's interesting, but imagine what happens if somebody abused that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they get fired, obviously. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that this one company, I'm not going to mention their name, they actually do not pay by the hour. They treat them as contractors. Hmm. They don't have to pay benefits. And um, basically, the only thing they're making money on is their tips. So when you go deliver pizza, whatever you're delivering for this door company, you don't make anything per hour. And if you don't get anything from that customer, any tips, you didn't get paid. Nothing. So they average that most people make twenty to eighteen dollars. Excuse me, twelve to eighteen dollars an hour on the average. But if some people don't tip, you're not getting paid. They wow. said it balances out. But where I'm trying to go with this is the U.S. is behind. So there are many door-to-door -door delivery services, as we know, but we are going to start with another phase soon. Mana. Starship Technologies and neuro using robots in artificial intelligence is coming. Um, it's coming. And when that hits, I, I'm hoping we're going to start to see something like this maybe by the end of the year. But again, I don't know how fast they're actually going to develop these technologies. Uh, but Starship Technologies believes that their robots are going to revolutionize the food and package delivery industry better than anyone could ever imagine. So they're building this brand new network of robots that are going to be ready to serve you anytime, anywhere. Um, it's interesting. But is our world really ready for that, Marcus? I, I say it's not completely. You no. Know, not here in the States, at least. So this is something that they are, it's a new kind of business. It's a self-driving delivery robot. Uh, these robots are an advanced type of um, machinery that's going to carry items within a four-mile radius on a delivery platform uh, and enabling instant delivery. So again, they've just limited themselves four miles. Yeah. So they're going to move at pedestrian speeds. And they're going to weigh no more than 100 pounds. They're reliable and they're clean. And they claim they're going to be able to deliver all over. Um, so it's going to be interesting, but I think that's still uh, in the works. So that's something that uh, supposedly the United States is working on. And then the neuro using robots so they can learn. But something else that's happening, Marcus, is uh, you know a lot of people have unfortunately had to go to the doctor. Do you know, Marcus, that telehealth visits have crossed the barrier of over 50% compared to pre-pandemic times? There, there, you know, this has been, 
a very booming, you know, uh, particular industry here. And um, this this is definitely going to continue to increase, too, uh, with with the way, you know, people have been sick here and uh, with yes. the much, much more research that needed to be uh, had into um, healthcare and how to make it better. So, yeah, I, I can understand it, why. It's, it's definitely booming, but I have some concerns. My concern is, again, Marcus, security. So yeah. if you're talking to your doctor or someone and you're using a network, where is the credibility of that network to say, like, I just feel like the networks that they're using, they need to be building the trust in the customers, not the doctors. You know what I'm saying? If right. a doctor says, oh, yeah, use me on telehealth something. Okay, great. Well, what's the, oh, it's a service we use. The doctor can't really say that's a great service or they stand behind it. No, they can't. Uh, and that, that is concerning. So uh, the marketing is- has to come from these big providers or these Goliaths that are putting these together and really assuring people what the service is like, how your data is being secured, how it's being encrypted, and what their, what their policies are for cookies and for selling data third-party companies and that they won't do this. It'll be good to know, you know, what, what are the competitors too? you know, like, you know, like, um, show me, you know, who else is doing this besides you, you know, like, um, because, um, there's, there's many, many companies out there. And uh, most times, do you suffer from chronic hip, knee, or shoulder pain? Avoid drug dependency and surgery with Downtown's Healthcare in Denver. Downtown's Healthcare offers regenerative therapies that stimulate the body's self-healing process. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992 now in Lowry or downtown. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You don't know what company is representing who because the, the hospital just slapped their label on it and then it, it, the company it, it, is concealed. Exactly. And who's responsible, as we talked about this before, if something goes wrong? Who's going to take responsibility? I mean, I saw just the other day in Florida where there was a a doctor saying, oh, go to this app uh, and I'll help you. Well, (laughs) you're going to go to some app and you're going to get some doctor that you don't even know. And uh, they're happy to help you and you can pay them and they'll take your insurance. I mean, that just sounds a little weird. Yeah, it does. I mean, you don't know the person. And uh, I, I mean, we used to laugh about this with the Jetsons uh, many years ago, you know, where they would have Elroy and, and he had a sore throat and they opened the, tele, uh, the teleprompter there and, and the vision screen. And uh, he looked at it, he stuck his tongue out, looked at him. So, OK, that'll be one hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> and uh, and he, he wasn't sick and he went to school. But the point is, is that these type of things that we saw many years ago are becoming more reality. I mean, we even have the pill dispenser now that is supposed to keep seniors happy and healthy by reminding them with friendly tones and words to help them take their appropriate uh, prescriptions and also uh, alert family members or medical uh, teams if assistance is needed. 
But again, that data, Marcus, is really vulnerable. It is, you know, because you used to hear so much about HIPAA, but now you don't <laughs> since this you don't You don't hear you about don't hear it anything. so much because it is blowing up in the IoT market. Uh, yeah. And things like something like an IoT device that can take your blood pressure, even though it's communicating wirelessly, has your provider done the right things to make sure that thing communicates securely in the network? I can't tell you how many doctor's offices that we've helped that didn't even know what secure wireless was. They were just using one of the local internet services and just connecting to a free Wi-Fi. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, uh, boy, you know, uh, you, you go to some of these doctor's offices, the, the, the internet slower than the, the internet you got at home. <laughs> so, you know, we took care of that for them. And the funny thing was, these uh, these different exam rooms they had, they didn't have cameras in the exam rooms, but rather than buying new computers right now, they went and bought those, you know, the Logitech cameras. Yeah. But do you know there was one guy, I don't know his name, but it's crazy what he did. He bought all these cameras from all the stores. And I'm going to just say he bought them all out. There might've been several people that did this. And so I had people that had graduations, uh, medical offices that needed cameras. I couldn't get cameras. I had to order cameras from Logitech in China. And oh, it was wow. over a month wait to oh. get them. Oh, man, that's terrible. And you want to hear the best one. If the camera normally costs $60, I was paying twice what they normally were worth because they were in demand. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. But that guy that had did the extortion, he was taking the camera for twenty or forty dollars, and he was selling that camera that was forty dollars. How much do you think he was selling that camera for? Uh, you know, give or take, you know, probably you know some. I'd say ten grand, you know, and more. No, no, not not not, not that, not that <laughs> not bad. That. About six hundred dollars a camera. Okay, a forty dollar camera for six hundred bucks. Yeah. But it's still ridiculous. No, it, it's, it's absolutely crazy. So more development uh, is going to be happening in 2021. It's going to continue from 2020 um, for startups expected to expand telehealth and biomedical offers, uh, things that can help people monitor. We're already seeing things where people can monitor their glucose levels uh, and different uh, other things in their body by these different devices. And all these devices are communicating wirelessly or using Bluetooth to connect to your phone and that connects to the internet. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a problem. It, it really is a problem. So it I just is. think people need to be on their guard with what's happening. Online education and e-learning systems, Marcus, is going to explode even more. Um, the kids aren't learning in school right now. No, you know that. that's just the reality of it. But that can change. If the right technology was in place, kids could be learning today. Yeah. If the right technology was in place and the right training was given to the administrative staff, they can put curriculum together that the students can do. Colleges have been doing it. Other companies like IBM and, 
and large other fortune companies are doing it. Why can't the schools do it? You know, it's just just that refusal to invest in in in, in our students. You know, it's just that it's absolute. You know, um, excuses being made here. Yeah, exactly. It's it's excuses, 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 and with all these excuses being made, nothing is really getting done. They claim that there's going to be more money going out to help the schools. Now, this new money going out is supposedly going to help schools to get better filtration. Now, the one thing I have to tell you, when I was flying to Florida, I was a little bit concerned because, uh, you know, leaving, I had my COVID tests and I waited and got on the plane and uh, I had a good seat where there was no one on either side, which was great. But one thing I was really happy to know when I got to the airport, they gave me a bottle of water, they gave me a sanitizer. And when I got on the plane, they had gone over the fact that they sanitized. They had a video after the safety video saying that they cleaned all the areas. And not only did they clean the areas, when they came by to give you their, you know, the little snack bag or whatever, it was in a little safe clean baggie with another little sanitizer wipe, a bottle of water. They brought your drink if you wanted a drink. And the other thing that they did is they changed all the filtration systems on the plane to actually um, filter down to a, a lower micron level. So this way it would be safer. Now, I'm not going to tell you flying on the plane was all uh, roses mm -hmm. because it wasn't. Uh, the trip was very smooth. Uh, there wasn't really any turbulence. But I can tell you, being on a plane for even a couple hours with that mask on, even the cloth mask, it's not comfortable. No, you know, not. breathing through that, you, you get very tired. You can get a headache. And, and it's a challenge and you are allowed to take it off when you eat and then you have to put it back on you. So it is a challenge, but I was very happy to note that being on a plane was probably one of the safest places that anybody could be. Because remember, even though the plane was only at 50% capacity, you're breathing everybody's air. So they were actually taking the air, filtering it and pushing it back out. And they explained how they were doing that. So I have to tell you that I would fly again and uh, it definitely opened my eyes that the airlines, for the first time in my life, I was really pleased with how they responded to this pandemic and what they were doing. They even had tests with dummies in the seats they were showing us and how they did all these tests to make sure that the environment was clean before people would board. I mean, I thought that was way above and beyond. That really counts. It, it really gives you security. Uh, and, 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 and traveling, it, it makes, and that was, and by the way, that was United yeah. airlines, <laughs> uh, you know, but, uh, look at, and look at that United <laughs> airlines, you know, and they're best known for just little peanuts or something. So, well, yeah, and they, they really did try, I have to give it to them. And yeah. even the security people, everybody was very nice. But the one thing I have to say is coming back, there was a gentleman in the airport. Now, you know, in New Jersey, New York, and, and, and where you are, you have to wear a mask in the airport. It's required. Yeah. Well, in Florida, it's not required to wear a mask a lot of places. So mm -hmm. I'm online. And first, the one lady behind me, she kept moving up. And I was like, excuse me. She's like, oh, can you? I, said, I said, can you keep a little space? And she didn't speak a lot of English. And I kept trying to hold my hand to like push her away. Yeah. And finally, she got it. There were like dots on the floor. And I'm pointing the dots. And she wasn't getting it. And then there was a guy who had no mask on. He gets in line. And uh, the security officer comes over to him. And he says, uh, he points to his face. He says, uh, your mask. He says, he says, you don't have to wear a mask here. He says, uh, this is Florida. He says, there's no sign outside saying I have to wear a mask. 
And, and the officer says, well, um, you're correct. Um, there is no mandate to wear a mask here in the airport. There is one on, on the plane. He says, well, I'll worry about it when I get a plane. Mind your own damn business. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a little bit bad. And uh, he comes back and he says, sir, he says, uh, I, I would put the mask on. He says, because all these other people have a mask on. He says, well, that's their problem. He says, I don't think you want to cause a problem here. There was almost going to be a fight. They had TSA from New York and New Jersey, which is uh, a big security. The Florida hired to come down to that airport just to police and make sure there were no fights. There was going to be a fist fight or a fight breaking out there with somebody. It was going to get he real. Did not want to put his mask on. Yeah, it was going to get nasty really quickly. And people nowadays, you know, now that we have gotten accustomed to it, and it's it's like a, a, another piece of article of clothing now. Uh, yeah, I, I think he would have had more than just one person, you know, addressing him about this thing. They they were all looking. We were all looking at him like he like he was, you know, like he. How disrespectful can you be? And yeah. I think I said this before. It's one thing, Marcus, to be disrespectful for yourself. Okay, if you right. want to not take care of yourself, well, that's your business. But if you're going to be disrespectful and it's going to harm other people's health, well, shame on you. I mean, that's really you don't have that choice to decide if you're going to harm someone else's health because of the steps you take. That's not fair. And that's when it gets out of line. Man. But for them to bring in TSA, uh, actually, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey security into Florida, I thought that was something. And they were just there to keep an eye on things. Yeah, that's very because Florida is usually a very peaceful airport. Yeah, but it just goes to show you that people are getting crazy. I was at a, I was at a food store, and uh, there was a sign on the door, and I figured it would say the normal thing about wearing a mask. Went inside, and I was there with my mom, and uh, the workers weren't wearing masks. So I went up to customer service, and and I said, "Excuse me," I said, um, "You know, several of your employees aren't wearing masks." Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you see the sign on the door? I said, no. She said, well, go read the sign and come back. So I go outside. <laughs> I read the sign. He says, welcome to such and such store. We are aware of the current pandemic and our owner such and such uh, does not agree as well as with the laws of Florida. It is not required to wear masks in, in stores or facilities. Thus, we are not enforcing it. If you like to wear a mask, fine. If it bothers you that we're not wearing one, go shop somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> I just, we walked out. I, I thought that was terrible, Marcus. That was absolutely terrible. Uh, <laughs> you, yeah. you can't make this up. You can't, you can't. And, you know, people, people will say, you know, right away that like, hey, you know, what, what were they listening to? <laughs> it, exactly. You know, and uh, another thing that's going to happen in, uh, 2020-2021 and going beyond is the increased development. Now we're on 5G, but there's going to be increased development of 5G networks expanding, and it's slowly going to migrate into the 6G, which we're going to start seeing in the next year or two after that's going to happen. So 5G is not fully deployed yet. It is out in a lot of places, but it's not fully uh, rolled out. But they're going to slowly start working on 6G, I would say, toward the end of the year. We're going to start to see some 6G popping in. And that's going to open up even more uh, opportunities for different types of connectivity and and data. Because it's all about data. It's all about how fast we can transfer data uh, back and forth. I mean, we're already seeing cars, okay? Cars never had 4G service built into them. 
They're now coming with 4G wireless service built into them and having the ability to do hotspots. And this is going to be great. You know, I think that's going to be a, a real feature that, you know, people are going to be very attracted to. But it's not 5G. The car is always behind, right? It's only 4G. 5G probably won't be out for – it's the same thing they did with the Bluetooth, right? They had the 2.0 or the 1.0. Then they had the 2.0, then the 2.1. Then they went to the next version. And it, it was the same It was the same thing. You know, um, it, it's going to change what goes on. And I think the big thing people have to understand is that as technology emerges – the interconnection of these pieces of Internet of Things um, and how our world communicates is going to change. Yeah. And I believe a lot of it's for the good, but I believe some of it may not be for our greatest good. And we have to be on our on a watch for that and uh, be mindful of what technology we as people decide to employ in our homes uh, on us mobily uh in our businesses or even just uh you know outside if we're going somewhere so i think these are things are really important but you know the internet of things business is going to grow very 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 rapidly i I cannot explain to you how much that's going to grow uh my next guest uh i am very pleased and privileged to have his name is carl weaver uh he has another name uh, which I, I can't really pronounce. He has a name that was given to him uh, by the um, uh, people where, where he works there. And uh, the thing of this is that this person was given this name. I'm going to ask him what this name is, and I'll, and I'll have him say it because it, it's a hard name to say, but they came up with this name. And he is a global business development director Um for a boat. Now, I don't mean a boat that you get on the sea with and, you, you know, you try to you try to go over waves or you go in the ocean with or on the bay. No, this boat is blockchain of AI things. And it's spelled boat, just like you'd spell the word boat. But the B and the A and the T are the only thing uppercase. So capital B, lowercase O, capital A, capital T, blockchain of AI things. And what he's going to talk to us about, and I'm really excited to hear this, is how uh, our world is changing and how the blockchain of AI things is going to be where we need to be as we move forward. Because when we talk about you know, who's responsible, if no one's going to take responsibility, then I think it's somebody's job to make sure this technology operates within a safe framework, especially with our data. I can't agree with you more, and I'm looking forward to this interview and hearing much more from this. So, well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, please help me welcome to the stage uh, Mr. Carl Weaver uh, on the Internet of Things. Uh, Welcome, Carl. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am very privileged to have Carl Weaver here, as you know, who's going to give us some insights about what's happening with mobile technology, 5G, uh, boat the uh, Internet of Things, and, and a lot more to uh, help us make decisions that uh, helpfully, hopefully will uh, improve the quality of our life. Uh, welcome, Carl, to the show. John, thank you very, very much for welcoming me today. It's a great day. 
Now, it's great to have you here. Now, I know you have another name. I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, but I know a lot of your Chinese counterparts uh, call you by that name. What is that name, Carl? My Chinese name is Wei Carl, and that name was given to me in 1982 when I first started learning Mandarin Chinese at National Taiwan Normal University in Taipei, Taiwan. Wow. Uh, that's not a name I'm probably going to call you by. I'll just use Carl, okay? <laughs> well, if you notice the Chinese name, Wei, is equivalent to my last name, Weaver, and Car is equivalent to Carl. So it's a literal translation. Um, the Car has no meaning at all, but the Wei... Wei Car. Car. You have to curl the tongue. We car. It's not that hard, actually. I, I could get no, it. Not. You don't have to live with chronic pain. Downtown's Health can show you a better way. Joint pain, back pain, pain that sits and waits. Downtown's Health offers an alternative with physical and regenerative therapy. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I, uh, but I won't be teaching you today. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to ask you, Carl, you know, um, your background is, is really interesting as I've seen many of the accomplishments uh, you've made and a lot of the presentations uh, that you've uh, been part of and panels. I got to ask you, how did you get into this field? In 1982, in 1980, I started to formulate the concept of a Pacific century when I was living in, um, you know, I'm originally from Massachusetts, the Boston suburbs. So in 1980, I went into Harvard University, the John K. Fair, Fairbanks East West Center, and I formulated the concept of a of a China market uh, technology specialist. And then in, I, when I graduated from university in Newport, Rhode Island in 1982, I was able to receive a scholarship to first study Mandarin Chinese in Taiwan for three years. I studied Mandarin in Taiwan for three years. And in 1985, I jumped into fledgling microcomputer manufacturing industry in Taipei, Taiwan. I worked there seven years. Uh, and then I returned to the United States in 1990. Two, late 92, and in 93, I reinvented myself as a wireless market, land mobile radio communications industry because the digital cellular world wasn't quite there in the early, early 90s. And then I worked my way up to digital cellular technologies um, and eventually um, the mobile uh, mobile smartphones. I became a mobile smartphone specialist uh, at the turn of, just after the turn of the century. I think you're on mute. John, oh, that's an interesting, interesting path you have there. Yeah, you are just on mute, yes. I was on mute. Okay. They had a joke a while back, one of my friends was saying, you know, if you're in one of these calls, I'm not going to do it today. If you're the last person you're told you're on mute, you have to drink. But I'm not drinking today, guys, so I'm, unfortunately. Yeah, well, um, the interesting thing, John, is I put this plan into play um, just upon graduation because, you know, when I was when I graduated, all my friends were enjoying the summertime, going to the Cape, Cape Cod, and you know, uh, Massachusetts in the summertime has fantastic beaches. But I was dedicated. I got on a plane after 
two months of working at a McDonald's as a manager trainee, I knew I was going to Taiwan. Um, and I saved a little money by becoming a McDonald's manager trainee. But I knew I was getting on a plane. In 1982, I got on a plane. It was almost 24 hours from Boston to Logan Airport into Taipei, Taiwan. And I was embarking in the middle of the summer, extremely hot and humid, on my professional Into, into technology. And, um, you know, at that time, it was only computers. It wasn't the wireless industry. It was in Taiwan. It was only microcomputer manufacturing. So I, I was very, very lucky and fortunate. That is amazing, this, this journey. Now, I, I've been following you for a little while, and uh, I learned that you had become a dedicated mobile industry executive in the Chinese world for, I think it's 37 plus years, if I'm correct. That's How correct. did you get on that path? That's really interesting. In 1990, late 92, um, I returned to the United States and I, I decided to be closer to the Asian uh, influence because I could speak, read and write Mandarin Chinese after 10 years in Taiwan. I decided to settle in Seattle because it was the easiest, easiest jump off spot to jump shoot Asia, China, Taiwan, India, Korea, Japan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what I have been doing for all of those years, using Seattle as the base to quickly jump shoot and very easily jump shoot Asia. So in 1993, I jumped into the land mobile radio communications industry before the digital cellular world. The digital cellular world here in the Washington state area didn't kind of evolve until <clears throat> 1998 or 99 when Sprint had the first 2G network. Um, believe it or not, Sprint had the first um, 2G network based on CDMA. Uh, AT&T had bought, um, uh, they had bought Macaw Cellular and they eventually became, um, um, AT, uh, they became AT&T Wireless somehow. Oh, they had a, a bunch of name changes. So by the turn of the century, I was, I was now back into the digital uh, cellular industry. I already had about a decade uh, of experience under my belt. And I was uh, working for uh, Western companies, taking mobile technologies and getting them designed in and sold to the uh, Asia Pacific rim. Um, and in, in 2003, um, I was basically thrown into the job market um, due, to, due to company going bankrupt after 9-11, you know, it was a tough time. Anyway, um, I reinvented myself as the first public speaker in smartphones in the world because I was working on the first smartphone project in North America with a small, uh, my, a small embedded antenna company that had the project with Microsoft. So I gave the first smartphone presentation on Microsoft's campus in 2003. I um, remember, I remember Rim. I remember Rim and what they did and, and the, with the sidekicks and things like that. Then they it, was Rim, it was Rim. It was um, it was Rim. It was Nokia. It was um, Handspring, if you can remember. And we had we had BlackBerry doing some things too. Yes, BlackBerry yes. was doing a few things. The Sidekick um, and stuff like that. Sidekick was another product. Those were all early. And then the real first smartphone in North America was HTC's um, based on Windows Mobile. That was the real first smartphone in North America uh, dev dev developed for Windows Mobile because Nokia never penetrated North America with their Symbian operating system. So, Carl, I have to ask you, so with all this emergence of technology and, you know, the, the uh, I guess, the changing and the acceptance uh, of the Internet of Things, uh, people are, I guess, just taking it for granted. I know a lot of times myself, I use my iPhone uh, 12 Max Pro 
Wow. And uh, since since I've had the since I've had the 10x, I have always just whether it was the finger before the 10 just to make my payments, or now it's the touch the button and then look at the phone. And knowing that my payment is being sent securely and safely, which I believe, but a lot of people use something called cryptocurrency. I know people that have these rigs in their basement, in their homes. Some people don't even have jobs and they have this form of servers. And I asked them what they're making. And uh, just then they say, oh, we're making probably around 20 to 40 dollars. I said an hour. They said maybe a day. And I said, that's not a lot. Well, that's why we need a lot of machines. I said, but doesn't it cost you money to run this this power? So talk to us about cryptocurrency. Is that really safe? And um, is it really good for anything? Or should we avoid that like the plague, Carl? No, you should not avoid cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency is basically a decentralized form of payment um, be between point A and point B. And lots of... Um, Lots of people, lots of organizations want to use it as a private means of transferring funds. And it's it's not controlled by any government. It's not controlled by anybody. Uh, if the if you know, it's basically not controlled because it's decentralized. And really, it's very difficult to stop it. And, and regulations and restrictions, et cetera, like they have in China. Um, it serves a purpose. It absolutely does serve a purpose. But the problem is with cryptocurrency, uh, which, by the way, uses blockchain. The whole key is cryptocurrency is nothing but one use case of the blockchain. But the whole problem is storing the cryptocurrency private keys. The problem is when you try to store the cryptocurrency private key on, a, on an exchange and or on a smartphone, it's very, very difficult to secure the private keys because even though the keys are encrypted, they're stored in the open operating system of the smartphone. So it's very easy for hackers to steal it, especially on Android smartphones. However, Samsung has put, to, put in place a pretty good security and, and secure enclaves and chips to secure their private keys. And so, you know, if you have, an, uh, if you have a Samsung smartphone, uh, and also Apple has done a good job. The key is with these crypto wallets, the wallet, there are hundreds of crypto wallets on the world today and lots of manufacturers. And um, on the Apple store, they have an SDK that you must use in order to encrypt and make sure that the private keys are secured inside a secure enclave in their Apple chips. They're a, I think they started at A10 or A11 to secure the private key credentials uh, inside of a chip. And Samsung does the same thing. So you need to add the, ask the hard questions of your smartphone manufacturer. How are you storing cryptocurrency from the wallet? That's a very, very important point. This even gets to the point of security when we think about apps or websites. And I love when they have these programs and their password is stored in an open text file. I that, mean, are they, are they serious? Do you remember PGP where we talked about pretty good privacy protection and then we got better with other types of keys and companies that could actually, you know, make it so that your signature had to be validated? Uh, I mean, now you know what's happened with email. Uh, if you are not approved uh, with a DMARC record um, and have certain things set up uh, in your uh, area for your server for sending mail, you're going to be flagged. Uh, your email is not going to get delivered. This wasn't like this uh, five years ago, 10 years ago. Because the spam world is just growing so much. Well, this is job security for hackers. You have to understand from their standpoint. So the problem is, is that most of the companies 
uh, it was lip service when it came to mobile security, uh, network security. It was lip service 20 years ago. It was lip service. Now they have to start to care because they've been too many, too many breaches and uh, lots of people have lost their jobs. The key point is, is how much security is secure and how do you really stop security without governance? That's the big problem. Right. There's no governance. There is, there are security apparatuses in place that all vendors should use. Mobile network operators should be uh, pitching the holy grail of security, um, and they're not because the government is not pushing them enough for that. It should be the operators pushing it down to the handset vendors. And I agree. And ultimately, all of the hackers in the world need to be certified uh, as ethical hackers. Um, and when they they basically need to be certified. When you're in control of designing technology, hardware and software, and it, and it's all being outsourced all over the world, that the, there's no way to guarantee the ethics and the integrity of the developer developing either the hardware or the software. There really is none. And so the and so governance. The only way is governance. You can't monitor people. Uh, well, they do in China, but even not enough. So the only way is governance. And I've been talking about that, and it really is. Uh, it's it's getting that way. It's getting better. The Europeans are, are on that with their GD, um, GDPR. GDPR, yeah. They're, they're getting very tight. In, in America, the U.S. is going on it too. But now if, if let's say you get an IP address and with IPv4 being so limited, we really don't have many left. It's very hard to get them. Uh, if somebody happens to hand you a block of IP addresses that let's say were mutilated and abused, now you have to go through hell to get those IP addresses removed from a list, like getting them delisted. And yeah. Microsoft, forget it. It's like almost impossible. They have a delisting process, and then they tell you you can't delist it, and then you have to wait for them. And they don't even have a phone number you can call. Right. It, this, this reminds me when I was interviewed by um, a Canadian television about BlackBerry um, going into China and how uh, their companies counterfeiting BlackBerries. They call them Redberries. I was interviewed, and um, the the Canadian broadcaster gave DVD of the interview. I uploaded that to Google. About a, about a, six months to a year later, Google said, um, "You must take this down. This is infringing upon intellectual property." I said, "Well, wait a minute." The Canadian television gave it to me. They gave me the DVD, and they told me to use it. I didn't sign any document. That was my mistake. But now Google was putting the heavy hand on me. We w must remove it, and if if we don't remove it, we will re remove your account, and you will never have Google. Blah 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 blah. blah. I know they make they make it so crazy, and now even with certain security uh, companies and cameras, I mean, we've gotten so crazy now that from many years ago there was something called an NDA. The NDA didn't mean non-disclosure. It basically was a document that allowed or basically disallowed uh, governments to allow that product in their country, like some of the cameras, and that's why a lot of companies in the U.S. ripped out these cameras because they had things like secret uh, microphones on board. Even if they didn't have a microphone, they were still listening and they were still able to back it into your camera. Right. So none of this will stop, by the way. And um, governments around the world, rogue organizations around the world, um, they want the best hackers because everybody is hacking everybody else around the world. It's a fact. Everybody is hacking everybody else. Some of them for purely ethic, um, some of them for purely cosmetic reasons like commerce. Um, um, the key point here is if you're training an engineer, software or hardware engineer, 
you need to train them that whatever they try to hack into needs to be for ethical purposes. If it's exactly. not, if it's not for ethical purposes, then there needs to be governance, and they, they, that that company, that person, should be black blacklisted from um, cr you know pursuing their craft uh, down the road. That's the only way to stop it. You're never going to stop because there's going to be a there's going to be a breach, a patch, a breach, a patch, and that's what I've been seeing. However, companies like Microsoft are starting to invest more in hardware. Apple is very sophisticated. They have their own uh, A-series chips in mm -hmm. order to provide better security. Like the A10, the A11, A12, the new chips. Yes. Google and started this, I think, several years. They were the first ones, right? Google started something called No Trust. Were they the first ones? No. They put a chip on their boards. This was about, I'm going to say, five or ten years ago, but they made it public, and they didn't trust their own technology. Well, I don't think Google was the first, but the first. it's good to see it's good to see Google doing that. Now, remember, a lot of this drives back to uh, geopolitics with the whole semiconductor industry. All right. Because there are really only three fabs uh, or fab manufacturers in the world today of prominence, Intel, Samsung and TSMC in Taiwan. Obviously, China wants all of this technology, um, but but not based on lithography manufacturing laser process. The Chinese are reinventing with a new kind of process. Um, it's impossible to stop a country that really wants to uh, develop a technology. So uh, the Chinese are going to probably try to leapfrog existing lithography laser etching yep. technology. That's, that's They're just already doing it with 3D. Look at some of the world's best 3D printing. It's coming from China. Yes. So um, it's... Protectionism never works and never benefits anybody. Uh, you think it benefits you, but it doesn't. The Japanese learned that the very hard way. So back back to the key point here, which is that security is important and every country needs to work together. If I were to tell you that actually smartphones in China have re really good security uh, and the Chinese government cares about your about self-sovereign identity, you might say, Carl, you, you have a hole in your head. But actually they do. And they are concerned... Uh, like the Europeans, like the Americans, about data privacy. They are. They've gotten very crazy with their cameras and the way they have them in every corner. I mean, they've gotten camera crazy over there. Yes, yes, they have. They have surveillance. Um, and they got surveillance for surveillance for surveillance. I mean, they're just like nuts. I, mean, I think there's a privacy level to things, and if you're doing something that's in a public space, I get it. But you know, there's points that are privacy that they should not be in. However, having said that, see, I play. I will play devil's advocate, and I will use a, a very level EQ because the only way to survive in the Chinese world, because I have history with China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, real history, um, uh, you know, global changing history, is to keep a level EQ. Google, Facebook, even Amazon and Twitter, they're also manipulating your data and selling it. I know. In the on the dark web, so they are. You're correct. You shouldn't. You shouldn't sit in glass houses and throw stones. Um, I, so I, I I agree with you. And I, like, for example, a while back, I had gotten locked out many years. And or I was helping a client. They said, well, you have to get a passport. I'm like, we're not giving you a passport so you could go sell it out the back door? I mean, it's like they have no right to request this information. Who are they? Now at least there's a new governing board, as you know, that's there for Facebook and Instagram. That if they say you can't, you can't go through, I think that's great. I think we're going to see more of that, Carl. I think more no of doubt. No doubt. It was driven by the Europeans and actually the Chinese and the South Koreans and the Japanese 
um, are, are, are playing a key role <clears throat> in the continued development of that. Because really? those regions... Oh, you don't have to live with chronic pain. Downtown's Health can show you a better way. Joint pain, back pain, pain that sits and waits. Downtown's Health offers an alternative with physical and regenerative therapy. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, absolutely, because... You know, cryptocurrencies um, were very big in China. And as you know, the largest mining of, of Bitcoin in the world is coming from China. It's coming from China. But, but our own thing is, is that when you think of China, I always think of them always trying to hurt us. You know, like they're always obviously everybody's trying to be, you know, in their own space and be competitive. I get it. But how do you know you can at least coexist together? Because that's always a fear when I hear China. Like, you know, look at what happened now and not to bring up the pandemic. But there are lots of things that I'm sure, you know, don't leave a good taste in your mouth. And yeah. How do we get over those things? Right. So I have been in the Chinese world for a very, very long time. And I know that it's a matter of, uh, are there some Chinese behaviors people in the West do not like? Sure. Absolutely. <clears throat> there are also things that people in the West do that the Chinese don't like. So my viewpoint is a coexistence. COVID-19 is a bad thing. Um, I, I prefer not, not to discuss uh, sure. where it came from because I think, sure. the, the, I think, we pretty much know where it came from. Absolutely. But the key point is, is to demonize the Chinese for being entrepreneurial, which they are, and also innovative and creative, which they also are, is the wrong approach. My approach is, so here's my strategy. Day one, I would require all U.S. soldiers stationed in South Korea, Japan, uh, and various parts of the world to require language training, language and cultural training in the country where they are. This would be my requirement for every U.S. soldier operating around the world. It's not enough just to be defending those countries. You have to understand those customs and cultures. So take away the gun for a, few, for a little while, put the language book, and then you're creating you, hundreds of thousands more ambassadors for your country rather than uh, basically p creating a bad influence, number one. Number two, all American universities should be teaching Mandarin, but that Mandarin scholarship should be coming from Google, Facebook, Microsoft. It's they they make too much money. They make too much money only on data. They should be investing in semiconductor chip manufacturing to make sure that we maintain our cutting edge. They are not doing that. So uh, if, I, if I had the opportunity to reallocate, if I had the opportunity to be the strategist for how America competes with the Chinese on technology per se, uh, because remember, there are things the Chinese do give to us and there are things that we give to the Chinese. I don't demonize anybody uh, because what do you mean by the Chinese? What about the Taiwanese? What about the Hong Kong Singaporeans? Uh, Chinese people, I mean, I, I don't get into geopolitics with governments, but Chinese people are hardworking, industrious people. Threat, they, China can be a threat if you allow it to be a threat. Right. If, you, if you have strategies. Right. <laughs> I'll give you a perfect example. In 2008, I was hired by Jamalto to push 
near field communications technology into China. But I discovered that there was lots of techno nationalism and protectionism inside China. There was no Google, Facebook, or YouTube. China banned them all. So what did I do? I started to give them all my public speaking presentations in Mandarin, number one. Number two, I uploaded those videos to Chinese video streaming websites to legally overcome the Great Firewall to get my videos, technology videos on near-field communications and payment uh, to the movers and shakers in China. All of that is legal. There's nothing wrong with it. I've had lots of Chinese officials um, probably look at my website and say, wow, wow, that's pretty good. So you see, some of the fear is the fear of the unknown with Western people regarding the Chinese world. So I want to debunk that. I need to debunk that because I deal with, I deal with greater China every single day. I, I get it. And, and I agree with you on one point. You know, I as as I was reading a lot of the stuff you've worked on, I was very interested to know about uh, I think it's called something called Hawker. You probably know this better than I do. They call it a Hawker, H-A-W, I think, K-E-R. And I was really interested to learn what I guess is, is it not the Chinese. It's actually the um, I forget which part of the world it is, but it's very close in there. And they uh, are. They work very hard to build a business uh, in like these, uh, I guess you call it like shops and stuff like that. I'm not sure if you if you came across any hawkers in your time. Um, are we talking about an ethnicity of Chinese race? Uh, hawkers is it, it, it's like they actually uh, if I'm, maybe I'm saying if I'm saying this correctly, they are a uh, it's a job being a hawker. It's I, I was told it's a job. They hawker they. They basically go and they they make their craft. There's one lady who's 93 or 94 years old, and she makes noodles. And it's 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 like a profession. They call it a hawker. But which amazed me is how hardworking they are and and what they do and how they literally uh you know they put their whole lives in that it's a family obligation to be a hawker. And I so, had never known that. So the interesting thing is in America we have lots of small businesses and some of them are family run. Um, but in, in China, all the small businesses are family run and you would never hire somebody that you could not trust in a small business in the Chinese world. So it is these small businesses that you're talking about. And a small, small business could be sim as simple as having a stall that you have out on the street and you're cooking noodles and then people come by and sit down and eat the noodles and it's very, very cheap. This is they amazing. Call, they call them pop-up shops, and then they had formal shops. That's what I thought was interesting. I, I, I survived as a young, starving student of Mandarin in Taiwan in the 80s with by this. This is how I survived. Wow. Uh, penny, uh, you know, I was, I was a starving student in the 80s when I was studying Mandarin. I did anything I could do uh, to, you know, because I was on my own. There was no email. There was no um, – uh, there, there were faxes. Uh, after I finished my Chinese studies, uh, but very few before that. So, and, 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 you know, we're talking about pay phones and coins calling back to Boston. Hey, Ma, I've run out of cash. Help. <laughs> you know, um, with, with, all this, with, with all this transpiring, you know, the one thing that's always seems to come to my head is uh, United Nations. And the fact that I believe, I'm not sure what year it was, and you might know better than I do, uh, where you couldn't bring certain phones through the United Nations, because our 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 uh, embassy had forbid them. You had to leave them at the gate. Right, right. The interesting thing about the whole smartphone industry right now, and people will debate with me, but I tell them because I was the first public speaker in smartphones, it's all migrating, but look to where the cash is going. So there are people who say, well, 
China will always be, be making smartphones. I totally disagree. The Vietnamese, okay. the Vietnamese are, are now making smartphones. The Indonesians are making smartphones. Well, well look who's making, look who's making, look who's making uh, home um, uh, modems, home modem gateways for Optum and Altice. It's the Vietnamese. Yes, and Vietnam because Samsung transferred all of the manufacturing to Vietnam. But it's this race to the bottom that people think. Well, it has to be. It's actually the African continent because the people on the African continent are hungry uh, and they should position themselves to accept all of this technology coming from the Chinese, the Koreans, the Japanese uh, and, the, and the, the Americans. But they should leverage and not be exploited. But ultimately, if you look at the globalization, I gave a presentation in 2015 about this, the globalization of mobile technologies. I predicted Apple would move. Uh, and some of these and these companies would move their manufacturing out of China because of techno nationalism and protectionism, uh, and that's actually happening. And where are they uh, moving to, Carl? Where are they moving to? Vietnam, Indonesia, and India. But I think eventually, if you look at globalization, it'll be going to the African continent, um, and it makes perfect sense because Asia is not cheap. Forty years ago, the value of Asia was the land, the people. I mean, the labor, uh, and everything was cheap. But now it's very expensive because all those resources are, be, are running out, but the people are still there. You, you get the point. Yeah, no I, I, no I, I, clean I get the point. water, air, or land. And that is um, – there is such a thing as the Pacific Century. I, I talk about that all the time. There is the Pacific Century, but um, that just means Asia becomes the most expensive place to live and work, and that is happening. But Carl, I do have a concern. So, you know, without any politics aside, basically, sure. uh, taking this from me being an engineer and looking at these products, I mean, this is a concern of mine. So I have always been uh, very fond of the Aris modems, which were out for years. Uh, I'm not a big Cisco lover uh, because Cisco, as you know, is a company that buys other companies and they're about brands, but they really don't care about the small business. They just care about the money. They right. really changed. Uh, other companies out there, like, uh, you know, let's just say now you've got the, the UV modem and other things. My biggest challenge with these companies is they're making them cheaper, but not so much they're making them cheaper. They're not safer. This is a problem. The new modem that's that now has a feature that, and I was floored that it had this, which is bad, uh, that the modem would shut 80% of its capacity down if it got too hot. It had thermal throttling software because the thing could potentially catch on fire. And if you put the thing over its side, the thermal software may not react properly and there could be a fire. I mean, that's a problem, Carl. <laughs> okay, so let me take this one step sure. further. Um, sure. I compliment you on your technical knowledge, John. Um, in the world today, let us I, I don't want to – I'm going to – augment this question by talking about 5G and IoT, if, if you don't mind. Sure, you, no problem. Bear in mind. So 5G, faster speeds, lower latency, right? That's the whole goal of 5G. How does that benefit anybody other than um, streaming your video? The real goal of 5G is IoT, the Internet of Things, because everything will have machine learning language to augment AI to crunch data and you want it to be crunched, and I'll get back to the security side of this. You want to crunch data, right? Fast. So, so mo most things that you have, I mean, there's there's AI in your uh, connected car. Teslas have lots of AI using machine learning language. So 
we think that 5G, and by the way, 6G is now being talked about, but there's, but let's not talk about 6G because that's hype right now because okay. it, it might not even be terrestrial. It might be satellites beaming, uh, st- uh, steering beams down from uh, the, orb, uh, the orbit. Look at, we have, have you ever heard of um, Boingo? Have you ever heard of Bingo, Boingo? Boingo. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Right. They're streaming. Uh, they're, they're, they're using a beam steering technology from the ground to the air for um, surfing the Internet in various airplanes. I'm not sure how successful that business model is, but if you can stream it from the ground into onto an airplane, now we're talking about a satellite down. So that's 6G, but let's get back to 5G. There's so much hype in 5G, but 5G will eventually evolve. But it really, really is about IoT uh, and IoT modules on machines and robots. That's what it's about. And it's about us being able to take advantage of that by our phone being able to access all of these um, machines and robots in the future. That's what 5G is about. It's us accessing other things. So my company, which is called ITOS, has come out with um, something called the Boat. It's a software middleware that's embedded into the cellular IoT module. It's called the boat, the blockchain of AI things. Because if you look, the problem with in the internet, the internet of um, of things is security. It's the biggest problem, and a lot of people don't even tackle it. Uh, that's why there's a there's still a problem. But we're tackling it. We're tackling it. We recognize the problem. Um, but AI things or things that have artificial intelligence in them mm-hmm. also need security as much as anything else. We're allowing that to happen because we've partnered with nine uh, Chinese cellular IoT module vendors. The top two okay. are Quick, QuickTel and Fibercom. Those are the those are the two top ones in China. And then okay. we're we're also trying to partner with Western um, cellular IoT module vendors. The goal here is your connected car, eventually your connected toaster, will have a module, and that module will be able to remotely over the air if from the field or in the field, program and reprogram and reprogram your device. So your device no, no longer becomes a standalone thing. It will have the right. ability to continuously reprogram itself and do various other things. So this is a, a very, very cool theme of what 5G is about. 5G is about taking things and being able to reprogram them in a safe manner and over long distances. That's what IoT uh, does, but that's also what 5G enables IoT to do so, 5G standalone is not just about downloading a video. No, that's that's a very simplistic uh, mindset and view of IoT. It's us. It's a, it's about smart cities and about smart building virtual reality, augmented reality. That's only the beginning. All of that. 5G will enable that, but only if they're using IoT. And we think for the trust, the blockchain. We think for the trust, the blockchain. And IoT need to be married in the in the in the in a courtship. Um, they need to be married, and that's so that'll what we have mean. the governance you're talking about. That'll have yes. that compliance or that regulation. Yes, we're, we're, we think that our technology will become the de facto standard because it's on nine module vendors right now, and the module industry, the IoT industry for the modules is very fa- fragmented, um, and the Chinese lead in this industry. Um, there are three major Western companies, Sierra Wireless, mm-hmm. U-Blocks, mm-hmm. 
and uh, and tell it those are major companies in the west we want to partner with those guys carl will this, um, will this change as you're familiar enough with the um basically we call it uh you know we have we have the the standards like the 80211 802.11ac now 80211ax is this going to add another classification uh to that standard series it's going to change completely because in my humble opinion uh, people aren't talking about what Apple and Samsung are have been researching. It's called UWB. And I believe UWB has the potential. Remember, you have to think about YWANs, wireless wide area networks, and YPANs, wireless uh, personal area networks. Right. I, I'm, the, I'm the person who brought NFC technology to China uh, and had it standardized on all these smartphones in two, from 2008 until 2013. Uh, and, and I also... Um, recognize the importance of NFC technology. It is, but why, it is, why, why did Google, They had a, it was a great thing you did, but why did Google uh, a while back, they got rid of that from their browsers. They, they got rid of that functionality. Remember how you had NFC technology built right in? They actually got rid of that. So what happened? Like Google wasn't on board? Like no, what, what, Google did, what Google did is they bought a company called SimplyTap and they enabled a cloud-based um, payment. They allowed a cloud-based um NFC payment mechanism using the cloud because they couldn't use the same mechanism as Apple. So we call it HCE, host card emulation NFC. They're basically emulating NFC with the cloud. That's what Google did. They bought another company to do that. So you could have it emulated from the, from the cloud. That's what all Android smartphones use right now. They use what's called HCE NFC, host card emulation uh, NFC. I gave a presentation which was captured in T-Mobile in 2014 or 15. I actually gave okay. a presentation on that. It's on okay. YouTube. So, um, and Google has gone from, um, you know, don't do evil to, uh, well, we can kind of do some things that are evil, in, in my in my opinion. But they do now care about security. Uh, I will say that, but they're painfully slow. And no, I've been- I know, I know. But what are we doing now? I know you mentioned all those things about security, but my still thing is safety, Carl. So how does that fit into the mix? Or is that not even thought of yet? Is that part of block? Is that part of your system? Because like I told you with this Vietnamese UV modem, which is supposedly the be all end all, I'll tell you that I couldn't even get, I got speed slower with the new modem than I could with the old modem. And the new modem was more picky than the old modem so it required a more cleaner signal. So so here's a key point. The modem that you're talking about, it's either, in your case, it's on a smartphone, right? No, this is just a standard modem that you use your home so you could get one gig services. Okay. Which they weren't even able to give me because they couldn't get the signal to come in clear enough. So the best modem in the world is coming from Qualcomm. Every, Qualcomm. Everybody, yes, everybody uses, even, even Huawei uses Qualcomm modems. Um, they've got the best modem in the world. So if you want to insist that you have the best quality coming from the modem, because the modem, it's a feature, a function, a technology that goes onto the smartphone. It's on smartphones. It's on your routers. Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Tabs, yeah. on IoT modules and Qualcomm makes the best one so you're paying more money for Qualcomm modem because it has the best compatibility and the best performance out there hands down like a standard that when you're buying that has to be like a rating uh, I used to like Aeris a lot they were very good there's no rating so for the average consumer other than what our advice is uh, they don't know what the scale is they look at something the you know, uh, manufacturers saying buy this or the, or what do you call it? The cable company says buy this, but they're just looking for the cheapest one. And what I found out is why did they go away from this one? Well, I learned without naming the specific company because there's a lot out there. They actually didn't pay a bill. And the reason they didn't they didn't pay a bill for a long time, they burned their relationship with one company and they couldn't buy that particular modem anymore. So they went to somebody else who was just dying to give them product. Yeah. So first of all, first of all, you don't burn your relationship with Qualcomm, number one. Uh, number two, it's very difficult to form a relationship with Qualcomm. Only the top companies. I Trust me, if you try to approach a Qualcomm person and discuss your technology, they'll say, well, I'm sorry, we're not interested. Qualcomm is a very difficult company to deal with, but they do have the best They do have the best technology. It's a fact. It's a fact. They were the ones, if you remember, that made – you remember Eudora? Nobody uses them anymore, but they actually made Eudora. Then they sold it off. Qualcomm, same company, actually made Eudora, which was a great email program, but – the problem is they had a free version, a paid version, and nobody wanted to pay for it. So they couldn't. Yeah, pay. When you give something away free and then you want to charge for it later, that really doesn't work. Um, it doesn't work with me. So, um, but, you know, get, so getting back to the, the whole future of, um, of what we call YPANS, wireless personal area ne networks. Yeah. I, I threw that in there, but I don't, I'm not sure if it sunk in with you. This is a technology that is on smartphones now, but it's not being widely used are we talking like the fact that i can use my cell phone now enable my hotspot and i can basically be able to or network my devices with my wireless is that the path we're going down i think so it's yes. called ultra wideband and yep. Samsung, yep. samsung and um and apple have this but it's broader than that it's broader than that it's going to go into connected cars it's going to go into yep. everything. We've seen, it, we've seen it already. Tesla said they're going to roll it out. I mean, I know Ford okay. is doing some things. Uh, yeah. But my question, I don't know if this is something you touch on or not, safety. Okay, I don't mean safety for, you know, blowing something up or having a fire. I read from some of the articles of the panels you were on, very educational, where they talked about, you know, if the kid is four years or younger, they should not hold a cell phone to their ear. But they after should. four years... It's okay. Is that kind of? I misread that, or that was no. confusing. I didn't get that. Should be, be <laughs> below the age of fifteen. You should not be using a cell phone next to your ear because the the the, the matter the 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 brain matter of a of a of so a. 15 after fifteen, it's okay because the S what is it the SDR the SAR or the SAR uh, something absorption rate SAR. Um, well, no, no. So SAR is a rate measured for the emission of 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 EMI coming from the, the device, which emits radiation. Everything emits okay. radiation. Just like it, just like when they take x-rays, they have a different measuring standard, basically. 
it's 2.5. It, it normally is 2.5 SAR rating, and smartphones cannot over, go over that. Now, every smartphone sold in the United States must go through FCC uh, testing, and, and, and SAR ratings are very, very important. If you don't pass SAR, you can't sell your smartphones in North America. But even having said that, you should not use a smartphone before the age of 15. It's not good. Uh, fortunately, I think we, my, my, we got a, my family, we got away with it. I think our daughter was 17 when she started to demand a smartphone for work, for school. Wow. Demand is the word. <laughs> we weren't allowed to have cell phones in school. That wasn't even permitted. Right. My right. time, my cell phone, you probably remember these days, uh, my cell phone cost me somewhere around $5,000. And it was a pack that yeah, sat on my shoulder. Yeah, so so I met uh, about ten years ago, more than ten years ago. I met the actual founder, the, the actual Motorola engineer, who was the first person to uh, make a phone call, and he actually was one of the inventors or the creators. His name was Martin Cooper. I don't know if this name rings a bell, but he's still rocking and rolling. He's in his nineties, and he's still active. His name is Martin Cooper, uh, and wow. he yeah, he's still doing things. Uh, he was the first person. I think it was like nineteen seventy four. He made the first smartphone. Uh, the first mobile phone or cellular-like call. It was NEC, and it was Motorola. And I still remember to this day that if you did Function 6, that would enable, if you had the extra kit, it would enable the horn feature. So that if you got out of your car, it would honk the horn. And then right. we got to Nextel days with Push to Talk, and then that Push to Talk went dead. Yeah, that, that's all. I was in that industry also in the 90s. That's what we call land mobile. Okay. So with land mobile radio communications, not digital cellular. So it's, there's a big difference because that was the analog world. Yes. I would that go to New York and you know what would happen? Uh, always been a security, but we didn't know anything back then. And we'd go through the tunnel and every couple of weeks to get a call. It's like, uh, Mr. Morris, what's the matter? It's like, uh, your bill is like $9,000. How did my bill go from like 1200 to 9000 Well, you made all these calls. So I look at the thing and I'm like, well, yeah, roaming call. I wasn't even there. Like I was there once. She's like, "Oh, you got cloned." Now this didn't happen <laughs> once. This yeah, happened that, every freaking time I went to New York, and I was so happy when digital cell phones came out because they couldn't clone. They didn't. They used to sit there with like a forty dollars device and just grab people and sell the chips. Now I'll tell you, this is interesting. You mentioned this point because I was pretty much the first person to push eSIM to the Chinese smartphone manufacturers. Back really? In yes. Oh wow. Uh, back in 2016. Up a French invested company out of Singapore, French guy, and uh, I was pitch pitching the eSIM operating system. And so I was traveling into China trying to convince all the Chinese smartphone vendors to use eSIM because eSIM has a great feature, which is uh, first of all, uh, in America, there's no more concept of globe of roaming because you can Scott, make a call Scott. from any place now. Roaming is kind of going away in Europe. It's kind of gone away in Europe as well. Um, and because you can take SIM cards and you can put a new SIM card in for every place. So you, everybody's trying to avoid roaming fees. But the eSIM allows you to completely avoid roaming fees, but also set up really interesting plans. For example, eSIM and something called the Remote SIM Provisioning Pro Program from the GSMA allows you to set up your smartphone, your tablet, and uh, your smartwatch to all use the same phone number, number one. And when I'm roaming, when I'm traveling into another country, 
uh, because of what we call um, remote location registry of the base station and home location mm -hmm. registry uh, in the United States, you're allowed to actually uh, set up a separate plan on your smartphone by going up and saying, well, okay, I want to go to Spain. Well, Telefonica should be <laughs> Telefonica, movie, movie star, right? right? So I can actually program for a week a low-cost plan to have 4G connectivity, now 5G, um, and I set that in my eSIM functionality as the second profile. My main profile is the country that I, I bought the phone and turned on the service, which would be, let's say, T-Mobile in America. Now I want to roam to Spain. Now I can I have to pull up my credit card, and I have to pay for one day, one week, one year nice. uh, service. And I'm effectively getting local coverage, low cost, high so when you, when you Just when you travel there, basically. And I'm controlling that. Not an operator giving me a bill every month and giving me sticker shock. So the eSIM functionality allows that, but very few com not 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 enough companies have turned that on. And eSIM was being um, it was being prohibited um, artificially in the United States. Uh, they were prohibiting this technology. Uh, and I actually they I was I was interviewed by some Wall Street. Um, investors who said why is this going on and they asked me a bunch of questions basically apple samsung and microsoft want this technology on all smartphones to give the consumer the ability to control the plans when they travel into another country that's nice operators were, were charging and making lots of money and think about this if your car has 4g or 5g and you're in europe and you're or fleet management and you're traveling from one city to another uh, and actually one state to another, you could travel literally in some European countries, you could in, in a matter of two or three hours, you can be in three or four countries. You know, if you're making a circle like Germany, France, um, and Italy, those, yeah, you could in Belgium or Holland, you can yeah. actually do all those things. So, so eSIM eliminates that need because it allows you, the end user, to program where you're going, and you can and you can do it on the fly. You just pull out your credit card, and then what happens is when you roam from one place to another, the base station automatically recognizes the signal. And so all of these technologies will help you uh, down the road. I was involved in that for two years from 2016, uh, and even when, when I was with ARM, I was involved in eSIM and something called iSIM, which is putting that technology right into the chip. So it's, it's now actually going right into the chip. Apple is doing it. Samsung is doing it. Huawei is doing it. The, nice. the future of security is getting better and brighter, and it's being taken away from the consumer market who are complaining about not having the security. The security is going there, but it comes right down to the device vendors and the operators. All security for the Internet comes back to the mobile network operators. Let's not let them get away scot-free without having better governance. Well, so with, having IoT, with having IoT, we, we have time just for two more questions and we need to wrap up. But what, when you think about IoT and governance, what I want to know is with all this happening, who takes the responsibility? And are you and I going to be paying for this as what I call an additional rider to our insurance? Just like I always joke when we have drones in the air, is there going to be drone insurance add-on to our policy? So let me answer that question by telling you that I won't name, name the names, but two operators with consumers who had cryptocurrency on their smartphones was stolen, um, and it was stolen due to SIM swapping. It's a it's a it's a it's a concept of um of social engineering 
uh, or, 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 or spying, or let's say, what's the term? They were, um, they were spying and trying to get as much information. They went back to the operator. They were able to get the cell phone number, and they knew that this person had lots of crypto on their smartphones. So they were able to use malware by just having the person uh, dial, click on a link, and then bingo, the malware is on your mobile device. So they were able to steal lots and lots, millions of dollars of cryptocurrency from users on two networks in North America. I will not na make names. You can go and you can Google it. And so um, basically the operator said, not my fault. The smartphone vendor said, not my fault. The crypto wallet exactly. vendor said, not my fault. Nobody right. takes responsibility. And that is my only criticism with the cryptocurrency world, which is the organizations that should take responsibility aren't. Don't, don't. And there's no governance because it's a laissez-faire. I'm not criticizing the crypto world, but that there's your answer. When there's no guy governance and regulations and guidance. Nobody will take responsibility. It's lip service. Well, Carl, this has been really interesting. And the last thing I just want you to sum up for us is where are we going with uh, boat and with blockchain as far as the pandemic? Is there anything you could sum up for us in the last couple of minutes? Well, it's very interesting that in China, now people will, will take this, uh, I think, wrong and negatively. They will say, well, well, the Chinese just want to monitor everything. But in China, when you come close to another person that has COVID-19, you will get an alarm on your phone, number one. Number two, when you don't have COVID-19, you will get a QR code and, and a green QR code. The red obviously means danger. Don't come near me. But the green QR code is a safety mechanism that says this person is safe from from COVID-19. And, and, and actually, I think they're using – um, uh, I think they're using ultra wideband in China right now to do that. So they're already using this advanced technology in America. We're still trying to figure out who has COVID-19 and who doesn't. We can learn from the Chinese. And, and that's what I want to say that we need to learn certain things from other countries and other cultures because the Chinese um, and Taiwan, for a perfect example, ha also has this technology in place. So we can stop COVID-19. We can monitor it much better than we're doing now. We can use technology to do that. That's the key point that I'm trying to say. Um, I also want to say that your future is the Internet of Things because everything you're going to buy in the future, including your car, will use an IoT module. Uh, and that module will be very intelligent and be able to do many more things than you, you imagine. If can you imagine if you and I had a Tesla right now, we wouldn't even be doing our jobs. We'd be it would be the thrill of driving the thing and figuring out all the cool things that a Tesla can do, right? So think about all the devices you have in the future when you add the IoT module. Uh, it'll be able to do many, many more things. But the the key is the security. I, I agree. I know test uh, test driving a Tesla just a few months ago. I have never it's ridden really, it. It's really it's really going somewhere. And I know just even with my washing machine that I got. Uh, it's all IoT uh, with technology and things like that and, and different types of things. So I think there's a benefit, but I do think like you do as well, that I'm not a big proponent of the smart house. And the reason I'm not is because the things you hear on TV and what's happened, people rush to get everything interconnected and then they yeah. don't protect their infrastructure. So yeah. I always tell people when you're going to add something to the network, let's think about security first. Um, I have been in the security world since 2008, and so I, I fully agree with that. But I'm actually the guy who's not just sitting around talking about it. I'm actually doing something about it because uh, since 2008, I've worked, I've, I've helped to scale 
and standardized three different technologies on mobile devices uh, since 2008. And I, I feel quite proud of that. So I, I don't just, you know, I, 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 this is a side, uh, sure. a side issue. I just want to leave you with this. I have been in this industry helping um, enable these cool technologies to be designed into these devices. And then I see news media basically picking up on this stuff, you know, months and years later. Uh, and I think to myself, what kind of person do I want to be? Do I want to be a person who just regurgitates the news and really just tells somebody else a story? Or do I want to be a pioneer actually creating the story? That's what I've been in my professional career um, with the East and the West. I've been creating the story because I've been, I have a God-given ability to do public speaking in two languages, number one. And number two, for some reason, I've been the guy who's taken all of this work designed into the smartphone um, global supply chain and manufacturing ecosystem. My current company is actually, at, um, ITOS is actually based out of Shanghai. Um, and it, it just tells you the technology is evolving. I'm working for a company that's in Shanghai right now, working remote. Um, but again, in my viewpoint, I'm promoting important technology beyond hype. I'm, I'm promoting important technology that needs to be out there. I prefer to be a mover and shaker rather than somebody who reports and regurgitates information from other people. I'd rather be the pioneer to help enable the technology. That's what my occur. I, 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 think, I think you're on the right track when you say that. It's just like kind of like when people go to school, you know, and you ask them they want to learn math, and they say, gee, and my question I always said before I became an engineer, so, so how am I going to use this in the real world? I don't need things that are going to test my brain. I want to know how these things you're going to teach me today are going to change and shape my life. That's, and if you can't tell me that, I don't want to learn it. And that's the reason why when you go to school, you want to go to school and uh, graduate with a with a degree that's going to help you get a job. Exactly. Well, Carl, this was really uh, educational. Um, I know our viewers have really enjoyed, uh, you know, what you've shared with us about, you know, cellular technology, about blockchain, about boat, and just about, you know, all the things, I guess, that are going to be coming up the pike in the next I don't know, a couple of years to the end of the century. Oh, uh, next, 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 no, next year. <laughs> next year, we're going to see some of this stuff already. Well, uh, yeah, because we, um, we have um, just signed our first um, mem memorandum of understanding for proof of concept with a major global um, mobile network operator uh, for our technology. And so I would, I have to be. Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Very sensitive about, what, about mentioning this, but uh, we have, and so I feel the floodgates... Let the floodgates so open. When, when that opportunity comes and you're allowed to share that with us, we would love to have you back and learn uh, once you are able to talk to that to us about that with more specifics. Because I think you've definitely perked a few people's ears up today 
and let them know that uh, IoT is not really just a hype, but it's really going to change practicality in the way people live and do business every day. John, it was great, for, uh, it was great to um, have this rapport with you, this dialogue. I appreciate the opportunity to evangelize uh, some of the, th the passions in my life and career. So thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you very much for being a guest. We enjoyed having you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Carl Weaver, a person with, who has a wealth of knowledge uh, with the IoT industry and has revolutionized uh, cell phones and the technology in three major areas. And uh, we'll be following up with him again soon. Again, thank you so much, Carl, for joining us on the show today. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. You too. So, Marcus, did that open up some eyes for you, or was that just about what you thought it was going to be? Very intriguing and very enlightening. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited, you know, for uh, just the information presented. And, you know, it, it seems that it's going to be very helpful for others that was uh, listening in to and, and watching. He, I mean, he was the he's the he still is. He's the leader of his field. I mean, the way he did those things with the AITOS. Uh, and just how he was able to be that liaison and how he was able to uh, do those things uh, in different languages. Uh, I still can't pronounce his name that they gave him, but hopefully our viewers uh, got that. Or you guys can listen to the uh, replay later on because uh, my dialect of saying things in other countries, uh, that's just not one of my specialties. But you know, mobile contactless NFC near field chip payments uh, and being able to do this in smartphones and really just creating this whole new world, which is really starting there overseas. And, uh, you know, the greater China being a wireless specialist focusing on consumer electronics, which is really edge devices, which is the IoT, as we learned. And these edge devices, ladies and gentlemen, they're going to be what's going to be disseminating information whether it right. be medically, uh, whether it be for pleasure, whether it be to keep you in shape. Uh, there's so many things. When we talk about edge, that's going to be the connects to the internet. I'm going to give you a perfect example. Many of you have a washing machine at home, or maybe you have a dryer. Well, when my washing machine or my dryer um, uh, is on or it's off, I can actually go to my phone and I actually can turn on my washing machine or my dryer, and I also get alerts on my phone to tell me how long of a cycle it has left or change yes, the right. cycle that's in. So this is all possible because of the uh, boat or the block, uh, actually the, the Internet of Things, but he is uh, helping with the blockchain of Internet Things. And that, as we could say, ladies and gentlemen, is to kind of create the logic to make sure everything is going to be uh, in a regulated environment. And I just think this is amazing, amazing. Uh, you know, with the, the Asian language and his business development sales model and the IoT cellular module designs and just everything he's done with eSIM and iSIM and his extensive network of the Chinese OEM and the ODM and the smart mobile devices and the silicon chip channels and uh, just everything he's doing is just so amazing. Why don't we have more stuff going on like this in the United States, Marcus? It, it again, it just seems like we're just waiting for just that one person to come with, come with the brilliant idea. Like, hey, I got something for us all. You know, it's never you know everyone 
jumping in all at once to, you know, to work on improving things. And, you know, we, and it's, it's getting very tiring and getting very old, you know, at this point. And I think, like you said, everybody's waiting for everybody else to do something. And I, and I said this today to somebody, you know, uh, in our world, there are two types of people. There are the people that sit on the sidelines. I call them the procrastinators. And they're the people that actually get in the game and play football and actually play the game. You know, right. and if you're one of those people that's going to sit on the sidelines and procrastinate, there's other people that are going to play the game. And that opportunity is never going to come to you. It's just going to keep passing you by because you're always going to be a spectator. We have to get involved, ladies and gentlemen. We have to make a difference. These are wonderful words. And I, I think that's probably like the best call to action that we probably will receive all year. Uh, so thank you, John. That, that's my pleasure. I always, you know, I, I pride myself in just trying to give uh, this channel so much value because I really want people to learn and to have this knowledge because I believe, Marcus, that even if somebody's not technology savvy, mm -hmm. if I can help build a foundation at whatever level that is, everything else that I teach them, that other people teach them is going to stick to that foundation stronger than anything they ever could imagine. That's so true. And that's what it's all about, you know, passing it forward. You know, if you, if you, if it's something you got that's a uh, full, you know, enriched with wisdom, something that, you know, um, you can pass on with people uh, that from your own experience, you know, why, why not? You know, it, that's the way we advance uh, humanity. I, I couldn't agree more. So uh, what else is going to be changing? Just a couple more topics. We have virtual reality and augmented reality, which we've talked about before. So, uh, Augmented reality lets users experience the real world, uh, which has been digitally uh, changed or enhanced in some way. Now, uh, virtual reality removes the user from the real world experience, replacing it with a completely simulated uh, person. So because of virtual reality, um, it requires com complete immersion. And virtual reality devices will shut out the physical world completely. We're going to be seeing so much of this as we birth now into 2021 and forward from things in the architecture world, in the engineering world. You've seen these movies on TV where people, you know, they move their hands and they do this. This technology is out, ladies and gentlemen. It's just in the thousands and millions of dollars. It is not in the hundreds of dollars. And when I say thousands of dollars for a glove, uh, we're probably talking $10,000. So a whole VR kit that you'd use for an engineering studio is probably going to be over a million dollars. And again, you could get things cheaper, but we're talking about the amount of data points. And the more data points you have, the more realistic the movements are going to be. And when you're designing a ship or you're making something, you've got to have it as precise as you can. This is so true. I like that. I, li I like the breakdown of that, and um, I, I can't. I can't wait to 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 see uh, when they per per perfect this to the point where you know um, VR and uh, AR is um, readily available, uh, and, and you can just you know go to down the shopping carts and pull you know and pull it off the shop, you know off the off the shelf without worrying about the price.
you can go right now and buy some VR goggles and have some game experiences, but that is just like scraping the surface. It is. It's, it's not what it's not what it really supposed to be yet, though. You know, and and that's what I'm looking for. I'm waiting for that. You know, I don't want the goggles yet until you give me the real stuff. <laughs> I, I mean, the goggles are great, and 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 they're very good. Uh, you know, they're ver- they're very good um, things. But when you think about you know designing a building, okay, uh, and how things are going to work, and and how you can get into that system, so you can get like a, a what they call like a, a, a call us a riff for something under $500, $300. That's a PC powered gaming VR set, but it's nowhere near what it's going to be like when it's as real as the data points I'm sharing with you. I have a special on one of the next shows I'm going to be talking about a keyboard. Okay. And this is something I have in my possession. It's a keyboard that has no keys on it. Mm-hmm. It's a laser. Wow. When I turn it on, and it may be a little hard to show you on the camera because of the laser, but it has a laser beam and it's going to shine all the keys out. And I literally can type on the keys that's from the beams. That's cool. So we have some technology out there. The gaming technology is going to come down in price. But as we get more into games that are artificial intelligence, that's where the VR world, my friends, is going to really like take off. And what I see happening is, you know, you think these $29 games that you buy, some people think they're expensive. How about paying $100 a month for subscription to an AI library for level one to have a human experience? A monthly subscription. How about buying a virtual vacation? If the vacation is $10,000, well, maybe the virtual reality version of it might be $1,200. It's going to become that real, ladies and gentlemen, because, see, your brain doesn't know whether something is real or imagined. Uh, Many great athletes don't practice every single day. A lot of basketball players, you know, they didn't practice every day, but you know when they practice? Every day they practice in their mind. Yeah. When it was raining, they were practicing in their mind. They did a study. The players that went to the gym and the players that didn't go to the gym. And then the third that didn't do anything. Well, the third that didn't do anything, they, their performance was terrible at the game. But the ones that play on the court, the ones that play in their mind, the ones that play in their mind actually did a little bit better than the ones that played on the court in practice. That blew my mind. So when they were doing the practice on the court, I guess – they were going through the motions. Yeah. They were doing the mind. They were seeing it. They were feeling it. They were experiencing it. And they were getting those same muscles to fire in their body. And you know what? It, there's been so many tests on this. And um, I can I can definitely, you know, you, you, you don't have to say it more than once to, to convince me that how real this is. Uh, it's the power of, of the, the mind. Uh, in, in which, you know, things start, you know, before it, it, it becomes alive. And, and boy, I, I, I can't wait to get me a virtual vacation. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I just keep going. <laughs> uh, so another thing that's happening in the United States right now is uh, micro mobility. Uh, we're going to see e-scooters. Uh, that's going to happen. 
Uh, we're going to see different types of bikes. Just the ability that people can get around uh, in a, let's say, a more versatile way with smaller types of vehicles, from scooters to different types of devices. I'm not saying we're going to see rockets that are going to blast us like we see on a show, but we're going to have different devices that are going to be able to allow us to transform around. Maybe we'll see a lot of this in New York and the cities and stuff like that. Um, and this is also supposed to be more green for our environment because some of these devices are going to operate on solar. So micro mobility is going to change and this is all happening. Believe it or not, you know why this is happening, Marcus? It's all happening because of COVID. Yeah. People need to be in places faster, cheaper in ways that they couldn't with cars, traffic and things like that. And it seems like less passengers is the key too. It seems like less passengers and less uh, carbon gas emissions. Yes. Less carbon footprints. That's what it's about. And and the last point I have for today, I don't know where our time goes, Marcus, is the autonomous driving development systems. They are going to gain an amazingly big footprint. We see what Mr. Elon Musk is doing and other car companies like Apple are doing. A lot more people are going to be coming to the table with autonomous, uh, autonomous uh, driving devices. And I, I believe we're going to see this first in like the taxi world, the Uber world, the Lyft world. I actually see that where we are today, sorry, Lyft, sorry, Uber. Um, I don't think they're going to have drivers in another five or 10 years. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think it's going to become uh, this thing. But the problem with that is now you want to change your direction or do something. You're going to have to do it all through the app. You don't have a human connection, right? And if you do, are they going to have a voice connection in the car that you tell the robot or you tell the car what to, is that going to work well? So there's a lot of things I think they have to perfect. But here again, Marcus, where's that data going? <laughs> right? That's, that's the where, where, yeah. where, where, where is that data going? Well, we have just about wrapped up at the end of our show here today. Um, we have another great guest coming uh, next week. Uh, Tino Go is going to be our guest. Uh, he is another amazing. We've been just getting some great guests uh, coming up. Tino Go is the CEO uh, and founder of Baru Furniture in Cleveland, Ohio. And although he's going to be talking to us when we interview him about um, how he takes an app and allows you to produce furniture, his real magic is not about producing furniture. It's about using technology to take a process. He actually comes to us from the financial industry. Wow. So very, very interesting uh, to uh, interview him. You definitely want to tune into that. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you have an idea for a show, or you have a guest, or you'd like to be a guest on the show, all we ask is that uh, you provide some value to our show. Again, it's not a sales pitch. So if you are someone in the tech field or has used technology in a certain way, or maybe you'd like to comment on something that we've talked about here in the show, give us a one-on-one -on -one personal experience about something we've shared or said, we'd love to have you on for a short 15-minute segment. You can reach out to me at jmor.com. 
on the top right hand side, just click on the reach, uh, reach out uh, button, fill out the form, contact us, and let me know, you know, what ideas you have. Also, if you or someone you know has a product, like me to unbox it, unwrap it here on the air, and then maybe give you a review on it. I'd love to do that for you. By the way, we don't charge anything to be on our show. Uh, we don't charge anything for our unboxings, uh, and we don't charge anything for our reviews. So you can't pay us for that. Uh, we do charge to advertise on our great show. Of course, we hope you do that. But there's no charge for you to be on the show to provide value because we do want to pay it forward. And I just want to thank uh, everyone, Marcus, all the team here that helps make this possible, as well as the many viewers that keep joining us uh, every Friday night. You know, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, uh, we're growing. Uh, we're a great show. And if it's related to technology and it's something that you need to know about, you're going to learn about it here on the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. I'm John C. Morley. Uh, thank you again. I'm your host, and I can't wait to see you next Friday night when we'll have another great show. But until then, wear your masks, be safe, practice social distancing, and we will see you, my friends, next week, Friday night. Thank you for tuning in to the Jay Moore Weekly Technology Show, where we answer your questions about how technology is supposed to work and sometimes why you have challenges getting it to work that way. For more IT support and tips, just text IT support to 88811. That's IT support to 88811, and you'll get tips on technology. I'll see you next week right here on the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. Remember, jmor.com. Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown.